Friday, Lance Russell and Dave Brown right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories and of course as always i am your host ray russell and this week guys we head back to the uwf in 1986 which means we're going to be bringing back our guest co-host roman gomez to help me get that job done yes guys as we enter the month of june now remember we covered the may 30th uwf title tournament last time around well now we're entering the month of june here in 1986 in the universal wrestling federation the russians going to lay a trap for cowboy bill watts but has hot stuff eddie gilbert seen the light. Then from there, yet another cat fight. Scratch that shoot fight between Lady Maxine and Dark Journey. Plus this week, we witness an unexpected title change here in the UWF. So all of that and more upcoming here in just a few short minutes. But first, just a friendly reminder, guys, that you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast along with sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, currently covering the 1988 in the WWF project, as well as our program, the Wrestling Stoop with the legend himself, Bob Roop, as Bob goes back in time and shares personal stories and memories from throughout his 20-plus years in the business, both in the ring as well as behind the scenes. And you can listen to all of those shows and more, plus some new ones coming around the corner. Stay tuned. All of them part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met from Apple to Spotify, Pocket Cast, and beyond. Also, be sure to follow me on social media for all the latest goings-on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network Plus. I'm constantly adding old-school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history, and you can start right off by following me on X, formerly the Twitter. You can follow me there at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow me like me, Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And hey, guys, while you're at it, why not subscribe to my YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash wrestling grenade uploading new footage all the time including right here 1986 uwf we've been uploading them as we talk about them here on the show so you guys can actually go check out the programs that we're talking about uploading every episode of uwf tv here in 1986 in chronological order and again that address youtube.com slash wrestling grenade subscribe today and hey guys speaking of subscriptions now would be a fantastic time if you would consider becoming a wrestlecopia patron you can find me there at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. That address again, patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. And I'm talking to you guys today about that $5 all access tier. Get you all sorts of gifts for just five bucks, including all of my insanely detailed book like show notes, pages and pages of show notes for every episode of The Grenade Show, Monday Warfare, and of course, the Regional Wrestling Podcast. You also get early access to many of the podcasts here on Wrestlecopia listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Then from there, it's remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show covering the 1989 NWA project. Includes enhanced sound quality plus new content and conversation never heard before. But that's still not all. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. And of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series covering many past WWF and WCW events, guys. And you get all of that for the low, low price 
of just $5. No subscription, cancel any time, show your support. Give it a try for a month. I think you'll like the content that I offer, and every penny of it goes right back here into paying the bills to keep the Russell Copia Podcast Network and all of the wonderful shows here up and running for the months and the years to come. All right, guys, and now that we got all of that out of the way, it's time to head back in time once again to 1986 and Bill Watts' Universal Wrestling Federation. To be an 86 again, to be a kid again. And now I need to find somebody to hang out with. Oh, here's an idea. Let's welcome him back one more time, guys, as we continue on here in the UWF 1986. Welcome back, Roman Gomez, to the show. Roman, good to hear from you, my friend. Happy New Year out there, everybody, and Happy New Year to you, Ray. I'm happy to excited to talk about what we got coming up in the UWF. Oh, man, am I excited as well for that. And Happy New Year to you, Roman. Hope everything's going great out there in Vegas. Can't wait to get back there someday. Uh, but yeah, guys, we've got a lot to get into here today as we begin the month of June in 1986 in the Universal Wrestling Federation. And before we get to the TV here this week, Roman, we've got a bunch of June news to dive into. So I don't want to waste any time because there's a lot to get into here this week. Business is really picking up. And I'm not just saying that, guys. Yeah, there's a lot to uncover and I uh, can't wait to dive into it. OK, so if you missed our last episode, what's wrong with you guys? Go back and check it out. But uh, we did indeed crown our very first ever UWF heavyweight champion and Terry Bam Bam Gordy, part of a one-night 16-man single elimination tournament held in Houston, Texas on May the 30th. Gordy going through the likes of Coco Beware, Ted DiBiase, Steve Dr. Death Williams, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Wow, what a list of names. Gordy winning, but not without the help of fellow brother Bird, Michael Hayes, and even some unlikely help from the returning one-man gang as well. That was a night of excitement, and hopefully someday, some way, somehow, those matches will be shown in its entirety on some network or something. That would be incredible to see a lot of those matchups, the, the full entire match, and not just uh, snippets of them. Yeah, you figure something's got to come out outside of what's already out there, because they did record that show. Some of them appeared on those old Houston uh, pay-per-month type deals that Bruce Tharp put out there, but also, you have to figure it's somewhere in the vaults of the WWE as well. So two different, I think Billy Corgan bought the Houston stuff, I believe, if I remember correctly, a few years ago. So this should be owned by at least two different companies, I would think. So somebody's got to get this out there. Looking forward to seeing it in completion, especially some of those later matches. But um, we go on. Terry Gordy, the UWF champion. Uh, is the UWF going to continue their expansion, Roman? Now in St. Louis and Springfield, Missouri, they're heading to the Memphis Territory on June the 6th. Going to draw about 3,500 fans out there, which is better than Vince was doing anyway. Uh, UWF also moving further into Texas, including Dallas in July, invading the home of world class and Fritz von Erich and talk of even maybe going all the way down to San Antonio. Also several new syndicated packages and satellite feeds from coast to coast, including your neck of the woods, Las Vegas. Yeah. And the, the, one of the drawbacks with expansion though, unfortunately is obviously that costs a lot more money, you know, when you start getting into the finances and, uh, 
A lot of times when territories try to expand too much, too big, too soon, there can be some problems down the road. But uh, Uh, they're definitely... I I didn't mean to cut you off from it. I was going to say, you could could argue that even happened to Crockett. Yes. Yes, exactly. You know, to kind of, uh, in the words of The Rock, know your role. You know, know know uh, where your bread's buttered. You know, if you're big in the East Coast, a lot of times they, oh, well, let's go out to the West Coast, but they might not be real familiar with you on the West Coast. So, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, Vince McMahon was the trendsetter, whatever you want to call it. You know, he expanded and it blew up, but that doesn't mean it can happen for everybody else. No, and and I'm not against them expanding. It makes sense. They're getting bigger and bigger, obviously, but you got to, like you said, know your role and maybe do it a little on a, a smaller scale. Going from Oklahoma to California all in one leap? That's quite a bit to take on. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where it would be nice to put your toes in the water first and see what happens, you know, and not just jump into the ocean, so to speak. Yeah, maybe one state at a time there, but uh, you got to appreciate the Cowboy. Uh, and boy, do we have a lot of comings and goings, oh, plenty here in the Universal Wrestling Federation. And I'll save a few for some surprises here on TV, guys, but just a few of the names here. The Blade Runners, Roman, were actually scheduled to jump from the UWF to the Dallas promotion here in the month of June. But the Cowboy offered them main event slots here versus Bill Watts himself, as well as Dr. Death and Ted DiBiase as an incentive to stay with the company. And the Blade Runners, they wind up no-showing their very first world-class event here. Uh, It is noted in The Observer that Sting, he appears to be improving in the ring. The Warrior, not so much. Imagine that. And one of those two will wind up indeed taking that offer from Fritz von Erich after all. Yeah, and... uh... He would go on to to stardom. Just, just they both would go on to stardom. Just took different paths in getting there. Yep, absolutely. Uh, you know, of the many acquisitions coming into the UWF, one that may go missing on the radar should be mentioned here. I think is uh, the Missouri Tiger Jeff Gaylord opting not to go to Dallas as he has promised Fritz after finishing up football. Instead, he's going to go straight to the UWF. So Watts really hurting business for Fritz von Erich right now, even taking his rookies. Uh, a little bit on Gaylord here, guys, uh, his football past. He had played for the University of Missouri, uh, drafted by the NFL in 1982 by the Rams, played for the CFL, the USFL for a few years here. Actually, he started training to wrestle while he was working the final season of the USFL here in uh, early 1986. They canceled the league, and so Jeff Gaylord becomes a professional wrestler full-time here in the summer of 1986. And Gaylord was one of those guys that kind of had the look like, you know, maybe he could be a star, but it just just never really panned out for him. Just never worked out, though. He got to be the Black Knight uh, at the Survivor Series. So, yeah, that's <laughs> something. Not this. everybody can say they worked the Survivor Series. He can. True that. Or he could. He did. One time. <laughs> More names uh, finishing up their dates here in Dallas include the power couple of Hollywood John Tatum and Missy Hyatt. They'll be making their way to the UWF, and I can't wait. Yeah, it's always exciting to see the walking riot, Missy Hyatt, and then the the real life tension, the legit uh, art imitates life, so to speak, of uh, John Tatum, Eddie Gilbert, Missy Hyatt, that whole love triangle that was actually a legit love triangle. What a conundrum uh, that became to be as we continue on here with the year. Uh, but I was always a giant fan of John Tatum, maybe more so than most others. I don't really know why. I guess it was because he was on my TV screen on ESPN at least four days a week. Every week in the Dallas territory, uh, I just I always love me some John Tatum. Yes, and uh, he is, I believe, it's Michael Hayes' cousin. Yeah, so that, I wonder if Hayes had some influence into getting him into the territory. Good call. I, obviously, Kim Mantell, you know, pulling some strings, getting some Dallas guys to jump over. But you made a great call there. 
He is related to Michael Hayes. I do believe they were cousins. The story goes, back in the day before they were wrestlers, John Tatum, Michael Hayes, and Percy Pringle, a.k.a. Paul Bearer, actually would, would they were all fans, and they, they kind of hung out and watched the matches uh, back in the day in Mississippi. Yeah, it's fun to hear stories like that. I remember Chris Candido in a shoot interview saying that him and uh, Balls Mahoney played right. Little League Baseball together. You know, and it's just and kind of here, fun to hear stories. Later, Candido's, of, uh, you know, dropping bombs away on, on Boots the Cat and killing Balls Mahoney's cat in uh, Smoky Mountain, which is just terrible. But we'll save that for another day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's, it's not all a one-way direction, though, guys, as uh, all these guys coming into the UWF. But sadly, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer going to be finishing up here in the month of June. The Mad Dog going to be leaving for the Dallas Promotion World Class, thus ending the Buzz Sawyer-Rick Steiner pairing, which... Still in its infancy, as far as I'm concerned. So I wrote, what could have been, Roman? I feel like we would still be talking about that duo today had they stuck together for a couple of years. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. They would have been a a tag team to talk about, but Buzz would go on to world class and team with Matt Bourne and to form a very underrated tag team in in my mind. Think about how much Arn and Tullier looked at as uh, one of the greatest tag teams of the modern era, if you want to call the 80s the modern era the more recent era, I should say, I guess they were only a team for a couple of years, you know, not much more than two and a half years or something like that. But people, when they look back in the fondness of it all, you'd think they'd team for 10 years. So yeah, I think uh, Rick Steiner and Buzz Sawyer, a couple of year run. Yeah. We'd still be talking about that today. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, no doubt. And you, you could tell Steiner had the look of a star. You could see him growing in leaps and bounds. And uh, yeah, it would have been fun to see what would happen if those two maintained a, a tag team. A couple other notable names about to finish up here soon. Both of them essentially retiring from the professional wrestling business when they do uh, both of them for very different reasons. But we'll get into that on our next episode as we'll actually see them both leave the territory on the next episode we do here, Roman. So we won't talk about them here yet, but two names leaving the company and they're not just leaving the UWF. They're leaving professional wrestling as a whole. So I can't wait till we get there. Yeah, it's going to be fun to talk about. And uh, lastly, before we get into the TV, the final North American champion was indeed Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And now, guys, if you get, if you didn't uh, hear it last time around, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is out right now, courtesy of the Cowboy, ordering Jim Duggan to take some time off. Duggan suffered a cracked skull. His head ran by the one-man gang directly into a steel bolt at the side of a ring post, and Duggan's skull cracked, and uh, supposedly uh, they're selling it here as a serious concussion, but I've heard a lot worse than that. Uh, supposedly infections and things of that nature going on. And Duggan sent home to kind of recover there, tough guy, for a couple of weeks. But don't worry, uh, before too long, Hacksaw Jim Duggan will return just a couple of weeks. And what a nasty gash that was. For those of you that listened to our previous episode, we had talked about it, and then I saw it again covering, you know, what we're going to cover this week. Right. Just, my gosh, that was a deep gash. That wasn't a little scratch on the forehead or anything. That was a really deep gash. And like we had talked about last time for watch to say, Hey, take some time off. You know, it's serious in wrestling. They like to exaggerate naturally, but I don't, I don't know that there was an exaggeration there when they said it took 27 stitches to seal that wound. And of course, again, you can't seal a cracked skull. You just got to let that heal as best it can anyway. Yeah, exactly. And you know, now knowing what we know a little bit more about head injuries and everything, it would have been really interesting to see how they would have handled it. Had it been in current time. Oh, good call. Yeah, I didn't even thought of that. I don't know that Vince, well, WWE now, I guess, I don't know they would have ever allowed him to return. Right. 
Crazy to think, guys. Uh, we're going to get gro- going, Roman. Uh, we finished up last episode talking about that May 30th Houston, Texas show covering the UWF title tournament. And now we move on to the following date, May 31st, and UWF TV taped back May 25th. So a fresh set of tapings only six days ago at the Tulsa Convention Center, Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's Jim Ross in a horse-sounding Michael Hayes on commentary here to kick off the show. Uh, we see a clip here from last week, Ted DiBiase challenging Michael Hayes as the show went off the air, the two began to brawl, and the intro changed up a little bit here this week. Some of the, the clips, new clips here in the uh, promo uh, opening the show, I noticed. Yeah, and, you know, just like you saying about a raw-sounding horse, it's no wonder. I mean, the crowd is just deafening. And kudos to them for actually being at the arena, doing the commentary and not phoning it in at a, at a studio or anything. So you can feel the excitement in Ross's voice when he's doing the commentary, when he's having to talk over the crowd. Don't mock my green screen, pal. As uh, we we roll on now, from there, it's hype for the June 14th Superdome show. And we also learn the fabulous Freebirds going to return to their home. Well, one of their homes of Dallas, Texas, July 27th, part of that UWF invasion. So Bill Watts not screwing around, sending the boys back to town down there in Dallas. Well, there's no doubt the... Fans in Dallas are familiar with the Freebirds, and and I'm sure there are people, even though it was a rival federation, I'm sure there are people that showed up just to see the Freebirds get their butt kicked. Oh, there's there's no doubt about it, and I'm sure some people were just wanting to see the old times, the eighty the eighty three the eighty four time periods, the Freebirds back in the area, uh, the, the old Von Eric Freebird feud and things of that nature, it's just kind of rekindling some things there for their memories, I suppose. And the Freebirds back there, they were serious top talent. So, uh, yeah, the boys will be back in town in Dallas here coming up in the month of July. Very smart booking there. Now, Vince did the same thing when he would jump into territories that weren't necessarily his. He would take some of the guys that were stars there prior and and bring them to town, even if they weren't necessarily his headliners in other towns. He made sure they were there. It's just strategic booking 101. Exactly. You know, people like to go and see what they're familiar with. You know, if it's just a sea of strangers, you know, wrestling, it's like, meh. But if it's somebody that they're like, yeah, I used to root for this guy. It's good to see him again. They're a lot more likely inclined to go back to the matches. And uh, we kick off the show here. We're off to the ring for singles action, Roman. But prior to the matchup, hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert out. Eddie Gilbert interrupting the introductions here, taking the house mic. And as serious sounding Eddie Gilbert says, he's had some time in the last couple of weeks here to think about some of the things that he's done here recently. Eddie always respected the name Cowboy Bill Watts. And two weeks ago, the Cowboy, he woke Eddie up in a couple of ways. First, with his fists, and then he woke him up, referring to Eddie as an American who is working with the Russians. And Eddie should be helping his own country, the USA. So Eddie then asks someone to get a hold of the Cowboy, go find him backstage, and let him know to come out to the ring, where Hot Stuff wants to not only apologize to Bill Watts, but also the fans. As Gilbert making it clear, he is no commie. He is a true red-blooded American. Eddie holding the Russian flag says he wants to present it to Watts to do as he pleases with it. But by the end of the segment, still no Cowboy, so Gilbert finally gives up, at least for now, Roman, and he leaves the ring. So the first match can get underway. But how about that? Eddie Gilbert appears to possibly have seen the light. Yeah, Gilbert saying he turned over a new leaf. And uh, as the episode goes, we'll see whether he was telling the truth or whether he was uh, trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see here because Eddie Gilbert, not going to be, uh, he'll, he'll be back. Let's put it that way. As uh, we go on for now, though, on commentary here, Michael Hayes says he's no fan of Russia, but he also says it's not fair that Bill Watts is forcing people to see things his way. 
It's America, after all. Free enterprise, says Hayes. Michael disappointed with Hot Stuff's apparent babyface turn to start off the show. But finally, it's time for action. We get things going here with Rick Steiner. Accompanied to the ring by TV champion Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, Steiner taking on Perry Jackson. And I wrote here, the UWF crowd was simply the best and clearly loyal. Even giving this recent prelim mainstay Perry Jackson a good round of applause, not just for the introduction, but also during the matchup. I wrote, if mid-carters today got a response like this, they'd be lucky. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. The crowd was really behind Perry Jackson. And you would think that they had seen him win a bunch of matches, yeah. the way they were cheering for him. you know. But, but their mentality was like, we're going to cheer him on to victory. And something, if I can add, with, you know, when you were talking about Hayes, yeah. I like the fact that he said Gilbert needs to stand up to his convictions. You know, Just subtle little things like that shows why Hayes was such a good, effective heel right. that even though Gilbert was supposedly on the side of the Russians, you know, Hayes was like, Hey, that's his choice. It's okay. And just a little, little jab like that by Hayes just shows what a great heel he was on the mic. Yeah. And I love the, the term free enterprise because that had Bill Watts written all over it. Exactly. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I admired the crowd here for, for popping for Perry Jackson, but I gotta be honest with you as loud as they were repeatedly here, even I was scratching my head. Like what happened? (laughs) You know, it's like, like you said, you would have thought he, Picked up a bunch of wins recently, but that's simply not the case. I believe he's still winless at this point here in the UWF uh, promotion. But uh, as Steiner mauls poor Jackson, we get going here. Buzz Sawyer even sneaking in a stiff slap across Perry's face. No surprise there. Steiner busting out a power slam and a prototype of what would become the jackhammer. Eat your heart out, Goldberg. Uh, But Perry Jackson surprises Steiner with a running body block, a backdrop, and a power slam. But Jackson failing to hook the leg only gets a one count on Rick Steiner. Perry then going to the well once too often, coming off that middle rope, looking for another crossbody. But Rick Steiner got to catch him in midair and turn it into the belly-to-belly suplex to score the win two minutes and 19 seconds. Impressive is Rick Steiner, who for now remains under the guidance of the Mad Dog. Yeah, and, you know, Ross on commentary said that Steiner had a bright future, and, you know, and that years later, you know, he was right. And then Hayes saying that Sawyer brought out the killer instinct, you know, and it was just good to hear the fans, not only behind Perry Jackson, but as we go on further with this podcast this week, we're going to hear the fans were behind a lot of people that you would not think they would be behind so strongly. And that's what made this 86 a fun time a big part of it, like I've said time and time again, was yes. the crowd and the announcers. Yeah, I think you just said last episode, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but you said something like, uh, the unsung hero here are the fans. Oh, they they lost their mind, you know, at times. And it was yeah. just, even all these years later, you know, there's times I know what's going to happen, and, and I'm popping because the crowd's popping. You know, it's getting me fired up. Yeah, absolutely. And it forces Jim Ross to, you know, call commentary as he does here when he gets excited. People mock that you know nowadays they have a little fun with that whether they're they're they're, they're meaning it in a, in a negative way or even just having fun with jr he doesn't really have an option either you scream like that or we're just not going to hear you so it, it exactly worked out. it enhanced everything exactly ross legitimately had to raise his voice to talk over the crowd he wasn't screaming to try to create excitement there was already excitement right. and he had to raise his voice so people could hear him that's what I was going to say. I was actually going to say the fans were increasing our excitement at home, but then they were they forced to increase the excitement of the commentators as well. So great job all around for the product in the ring, as well as the people in the stands. And the craziest part, 
it's not a new city. It's not even a new venue. They've been coming to Tulsa for the last where we, five, six months. So, I, I mean, this is not a new playground here. These fans have, have already seen Jake the Snake Roberts, Dick Murdoch, Dick Slater, and the list goes on. And they're, they're in love with Perry Jackson at this point. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was such a great time to be a fan in 1986. We go on now. We get a quick one-man gang promo here, hot off of putting Hacksaw Duggan on the shelf. The gang announces he's the newest member, once again, of Akbar's Devastation Incorporated. As we head to the ring for singles action, the one-man gang accompanied to the ring by Skandor Akbar, taking on Vicksburg, Mississippi's own Ken Massey. So Ken Massey has arrived as the gang quickly whipping Massey to the floor, and you can literally hear the stiff forearms across the back of Massey. Very loud thud sounds. I simply wrote, oof. And then back inside the gang, slamming Massey in place for the big 747. The big splash connects, and the gang going to get the win in a mere 58 seconds, getting the gang over as a monster heel. Yeah, the newest member of Devastation Incorporated looked very impressive this week, and those forearms, like you had talked about, you could hear the flesh being hit. This wasn't, you know, six microphones in the ring uh, up on the rest. Like, it echoed throughout the arena. Gang was really laying them in this week. I don't know, you know, if it was a directive or not from the Cowboy, because when you normally watch the gang, and obviously later Akeem, he's pretty light, you know, and I don't mean that negatively. He seems, he, he works, right? He's not really out there to clubber people, but man, you watch these early matches here. The stuff he's going to end up doing, not just this week, but the weeks, the next few weeks here with the, with the chairs and the job guys and some of the other moves that he's doing, he is really laying it in. So somebody got in his ear and told him, you better go out there and get over. Well, I think it's kind of being a product of the environment. You know, the UWF was a hard-hitting territory. You couldn't go out there and, uh, and, and make it look weak. You had to work snug. You had to work stiff. You know, Watts was a big proponent of making it look real. I remember wrestlers saying, like, he, he hated the back rake. You know, when you put your fingernails down somebody's back, he, he was like, there better be blood on their back. You know, like, <laughs> he wanted it to look good. And when Gang, I mean, let's face it, Gang was 400-something pounds, so when he laid in a forearm and laid it in right, you were going to hear it. Yeah, Gang pushing seven feet tall and nearly 500 pounds, so... You got to make it good, baby. And that he did there really, really scored the win in a quick fashion. And it was believable. Uh, believe you me, guys. Uh, before the next break, Jim Ross announcing that he's headed to the ring to interview Dark Journey. But Michael Hayes, he, he wants to tag along, Roman, because, and I quote, nobody knows how to handle women better than Mr. Purely Sexy. So we have that to look forward to after the break. Yep. It's uh, some excitement's coming down the way. Well, you know, maybe somebody was going to change the channel. Uh, you know, and I'm just guessing here. There's a few people. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear this. Maybe they're going to change the channel. But Michael Hayes uh, lets it slip that I'm going to come down to ringside. Now you know something's cooking. Something's going to happen here. I want to look forward to that. I'm going to stay tuned to see what happens after this break. And and even if you hated Michael Hayes, I mean, Dark Journey was kind of nice to look at. Why would you Why would you want to change the channel when she's on? <laughs> so uh, we we do wait through the commercial break here, and as promised, Jim Ross in the ring as well as Michael Hayes getting ready to interview dark journey and a journey. She has some words for both Maxine and Jack victory right out of the gate. She says the situation with them is being handled, admitting that victory both allowed and aided Maxine in attacking journey. Not much of a man there. Roman as a DJ warns Maxine to watch her back. Jim Ross elaborates trying to help dark journey along with her promo here. He says, you mean wherever she goes, you're going to be precisely JR. I wrote, Good job there, Jim Ross, trying to help Dark Journey get her words out. Yeah, we we had mentioned before on that 
promo where her and Maxine and she threw the water in Maxine's face. They weren't great at promos. So you needed somebody like Jim Ross to help lead her in the right words to say. Yes. Yeah, so wherever Max goes, Journey won't be far behind. As Journey starts to exit the ring, Michael Hayes stops her. He tells her not to worry about Maxine the Amazon or Jack Victory. Hayes says he understands frustrated women, which gets a hilarious pop here from the fans. Oh, Michael Hayes, what are you doing out here? Uh, Michael then inviting Dark Journey to take a walk down Bad Street with him, if you know what I mean, guys. DJ points out that Michael Hayes, he has on a wedding ring. But Michael says he never said he was going to have a divorce and marry her. He just offered her a trip to Bad Street. If she feels like getting lucky. I wrote, oh my. As uh, Journey responds, I feel real lucky. As she hauls off and smacks the shit out of Michael Hayes to the fans' delight. DJ then walking out of the ring. Michael Hayes trying to save his own ego here, Roman. Says Journey simply playing hard to get. Jim Ross responds, yeah, she's playing really hard to get. So Journey turning down the advances of the future real handsome doc. It was hilarious because... Right as he said, take a walk down Bad Street, he <laughs> leaned forward. So it was a little predictable that she was going to slap him. But right sure. afterwards, she just playing hard to get. She just playing hard to get. <laughs> Michael Hayes was great. Yeah, he didn't even get upset. He, he's oh, you know, she's a she's a bimbo. She's a Jezebel or anything of that nature. Oh, she's playing hard to get. That was nothing. She just slapped me across the Ooh. face. We're, we're going to try this again someday, perhaps. Yeah, it's just uh, it was magic. You know, the, th- thanks to thanks to Hayes. He, he really helped put that over. The audacity of Michael Hayes to hit on a woman on public television with a wedding ring on. I think his wife saw that? Yeah, she, she might have seen that. <laughs> uh, the question is, did she care? I don't know. So <laughs> we go on here. Uh, after another break here, Roman, here we go. Hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert returning to the ring. He invites the cowboy out again for another conversation. Remember, he did it earlier at the beginning of the show. Bill Watts did not appear, but Eddie, he says he wants to apologize to the Cowboy in front of the world and wipe out his slate of being aligned with the Russians. Eddie says Watts made him see the light as he tosses down the Russian flag, and this time Gilbert refuses to leave the ring until the Cowboy appears. As we begin to hear the cheer of the crowd, Bill Watts finally making his way to ringside, Eddie inviting the crowd to back the Cowboy, give him a round of applause. How about it? Bill Watts, everybody. And up until this point, though, Eddie, he's playing the babyface really well, but the crowd, they don't seem to be fully biting the bait just yet. Yeah, Gilbert was one of those guys that, uh, you know, you go back to the Tommy Rich angle when they were the fabulous ones, and when his apologies always came off as not sincere. And I, I think the fans in the back of their mind were kind of thinking like, uh-oh, I don't trust Eddie. He's, he's kind of slimy. Yeah, so no matter how hard he's working here, he's just not getting over as a baby face the way he's trying. So they're going to continue on here with this angle. Uh, The crowd simply not biting the bait. They're not popping for the things Eddie's saying just yet. That is, until Hot Stuff gets quote-unquote real, as he admits that sometimes in wrestling, you do something strictly for the money. Talk about a shoot, Roman. Eddie said he aligned himself with the Russians simply for the cash. But Bill Watts, he woke Eddie up and made him realize that he doesn't need this damn flag. Talking about that Russian flag. And that does it. The fans are finally hooked. That's all it took. Calling it a damn flag. uh, As he throws it down and says, it was all about the money. I was working a gimmick here. Uh, But now, Gilbert denouncing the Russians. Trashing their flag. Backing Bill Watts and admitting this was strictly about a paycheck. 
So reality again here in the UWF wins out. The crowd buys in. Yeah, Gilbert, uh, you know, I'm sure he heard the promos about how much Watts hates Russia and saw the light. You know, he didn't want to be associated with Russia because, I mean, Watts hated any and everything to do with Russians. So uh, well, we'll verify so for Gilbert that before to, to, this episode's over. <laughs> yeah, so for Gilbert to say saw the light, you know, that, that was going to win some people over. So hot stuff, then handing off the Russian flag over the cowboy, asking him to do whatever he wants with it. And Bill Watts, he says, let's burn it. Surprise, surprise there, Roman. Eddie, he goes along with it, says he understands that Watts, he may not agree with how hot stuff wrestles or some of the men he manages, but he is a true American. And it's at that point, the Blade Runners show up at ringside in the aisle way. It's Rock and Sting, Eddie ordering them, though, to back off while admitting that he still manages the runners, who he refers to also as the greatest tag team in wrestling, by the way. But Gilbert reiterates he no longer has anything to do with those nasty Russians. So the hot stuff seems true and honest about his dealings, admitting Watts was right all along. Eddie was wrong. Gilbert was stupid and foolish. Watts is great. So says Eddie Gilbert. So there you go. Stroke that ego, the cowboy. As Bill Watts now seems to be backing Eddie Gilbert in his moment of clarity. It appears Eddie Gilbert has indeed seen the light. But look out, cowboy. It's the Russians coming to ringside. From behind, Nikita Koloff rushing in, but gets decked by the cowboy until Uncle Ivan in the ring. And at that point, it's a numbers game, Roman. All three Russians, Nikita, Ivan, and Korchenko, begin to beat down on the cowboy, wrapping that Russian chain around his neck. But wait a minute. Eddie Gilbert back in the ring. Eddie Gilbert going to make the save for the cowboy. Or no, Gilbert just smashes the red shovel over the skull of Bill Watts. You've got to be kidding me. The entire thing, a trick, a ploy, a scheme, a ruse, a setup, if you will, from Hot Stuff and company as they continue to beat down Gilbert striking Watts over the head with the shovel a second time and Bill Watts bleeding from the forehead. And we'll pause there for a moment. How about that? Took a little while, but we finally bought in and the minute we did... It was a turn, and I love that Gilbert didn't immediately jump in to the beatdown. He waited a few seconds. Maybe he was going to make the save. This could be classic, huge, main event, Eddie Gilbert babyface turn, but instead, nope, it was a trick all along. Gilbert showing why he's uh, an evil genius in this segment. Yeah, it's just uh, amazing that they, uh, they, they take him out. It's got a three-on-one beatdown of the Cowboy. They wrap the chain around his throat, and then Eddie Gilbert taking advantage, busting Cowboy Bill Watts wide open on the forehead, but hitting him not once but twice with that Russian red shovel of his. But Eddie Gilbert not done yet, with Watts down and out, laying face down on the mat. Gilbert then buries the Cowboy under the Russian flag. Sacrilege, I tell you, Roman. That's, that's not going to be good. What bigger insult to watch <laughs> than to drape him in the Russian flag? I, I think if he spit in Watts's face, it wouldn't have been as bad as draping him in the Russian flag. Yeah, and I think everybody, heel and face, going to put that over in the days and weeks to come uh, as the baby faces finally out to the rescue. Dr. Death, Ted DiBiase, Hacksaw Jim Duggan attempting to hit the ring to make the save, but they're intercepted in the aisle. Remember? Rock and Sting, the Blade Runners that came out earlier, still there. Master planning by Eddie Gilbert to station the Blade Runners there at ringside without being too obvious. And it takes a moment for the faces to finally fight off the Blade Runners and hit the ring as the heels bail and exit the arena. But the damage already done, Cowboy Bill Watts bloodied and laid out and draped 
and the Russian flag. As the babyfaces help the bloody cowboy to sit up, as all three of Bill Watts' sons, Micah, Joel, and yes, even a young Eric Watts, hit the ring to check on their downed father, adding concern and realism to the angle. This was just an absolutely incredible angle from beginning to end. And now I can expand a little more on the genius of uh, Eddie Gilbert. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, little side stories in here, too. You know, that the baby faces could not save Watts because Gilbert had Sting and Warrior or or Rock and Sting, you know, had him in the aisle way. So, so the crowd's focused on that, you know, and they're going crazy. And then Ross is going crazy. And it's like, oh, my gosh, are the, are the heroes ever going to save the day? And then not only was Uncle Ivan choking Watts, Gilbert hit him with the shovel, but then Ivan takes the chain and starts whipping him with the chain, you know. And mm. what I thought helped make this angle one of the things get over so much more that it wasn't just Korchenko. That it was Ivan oh, Koloff, yeah. the greatest kayfabe Russian wrestler of all time, and Nikita, who was new, but he the had a lot of, of heat because of his, period. Russian. Right, he yeah. had a lot of heat because of his association with Ivan. So, had it just been Korchenko, it wouldn't have been as good. But to bring in Ivan and Nikita from another territory, so mm-hmm. to speak, you know, to come in for this angle, uh, blocking the baby faces from saving Watts. And then I also thought it was effective, too, that the fans are thinking, like, my gosh, he, he must really be hurt. Even his own sons ran into the ring to check right. on him. I thought that was a little stroke of genius right there. And this was just a great angle from beginning to end. Bill Watts loved realism. And we're putting Eddie Gilbert over here for his uh, intelligence, right, as a, uh, a wrestling manager. However, let's, let's, uh, let's put Bill Watts over here for a minute. Master booking at its finest, like plotting a real yes. war. How can we get... The Warrior and Sting out there, without making it obvious why the Warrior and Sting are out there. Gilbert, the, the character, has a master plan here because it looks like Rock and Sting are out there to confront the cowboy. Gilbert says, no, no, guys, back off. But they're really out there because of what's to come. They know what's coming. We don't. Bill Watts doesn't, but they do. And it's perfect. I mean, it's like you're it's literally like you're planning for a real war. You're plotting a, a chess game. Yeah, and. You know, Gilbert had the numbers game, you know, not just that he had the entranceway blocked for the baby faces not to get the watch, but he had Russians, he had Sting and Warrior. I mean, he brought his army. He was right. prepared for this. And then the fact that the cowboy bled, he juiced. You know, it wasn't tons of blood, but no. you could see some crimson, you know, so that helped get the angle over a little bit more as well. I, I popped for the blood myself, but then the Russian flag, you know, that really sealed the deal. And let's be honest, an angle this huge. Uh, that could set up months of, of uh, storyline and, and rematches and things of that nature. But with Korchenko involved and the Russians uh, belonging to JCP at the time, uh, obviously this is a, really set up just for the short term, the next couple of weeks, the, the big shows in Houston and the Superdome, the six-man tag team street fights, if you will. So a uh, hell of a job here setting up with, with only three weeks away uh, from those uh, shows I just mentioned, a hell of a job getting getting into that. Yeah, and, you know, the the seeds being planted by Watts for weeks, you know, how much he hates Russia, you know, like, it would have been an insult to drape the flag over him, but the fact for weeks we heard him say how much he hates Russia, how much Doc hates Russia, you know, like, the seeds have been planted. So then the insult became even more magnified, so to speak, because we knew Watts' feelings about Russia. 100% agreed. But, uh, you know, guys, I could have told you that Eddie was lying all along. The minute I heard him say the Blade Runners were the greatest tag team of all time, 
I knew it was bullshit. <laughs> so, as, uh, well, remember, J- J- Jim Ross thought they could have been in the Crockett Cup. So, you know, there you go. Well, I mean, you know, we go back to that Italian Stallion Coco Ware team. It, it is possible they could have been in the Crockett Cup. <laughs> right. We'll go on here, though. We come back from break as we see a somewhat distraught Jim Ross. He takes us to a clip of Bill Watts being helped up during the break. Ross promising that the minute they laid the Russian flag on Bill Watts, with him still breathing, there will be a price to pay because the cowboy does not get mad, folks. He definitely gets even. Sounds kind of like a shoot there, like Jim Ross knows what he's talking about. Right, and something I thought was effective, you know, I, I wrote it down in my notes, was that they showed Watts trying to walk with help. And yeah, he, he collapsed and yes. fell back down. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, oh, that's genius. That is genius. You know, like he's still hurting all these minutes later, you know, because they went to a commercial, this and that. Like, I just thought that little subtle thing of him collapsing again was like a picture's worth a thousand words right there. Yeah. And he wasn't invincible. He was, you know, showing his weaknesses here. He got cracked over the head with a, with a shovel. He was choked out with the chain. He was hit with the chain. Like you said, Ivan Koloff whipping him with the chain. He was literally laid out there and bleeding. And covered under that Russian flag. And you're right. I, I didn't write that in my notes, but as you said it, you were I knew exactly where you were going with it. He did try to get up and collapse in that, that uh, video package they showed after the commercial break, which is, just made it even all the more real uh, in my eyes. More sympathy on the and, cowboy. And one other thing to show the significance of this angle, it was so important that Joel Watts left the production of doing another <laughs> Terry Taylor freeze frame video to come check on his dad. That's why we never got the second one right there. <laughs> because of the damn, <laughs> damn Russians. Uh, we go on with the show. It's Dr. Death, Steve Williams, taking on Gustavo Mendoza as we hear Born in the USA begin to play Dr. Death to the ring, and he is still pissed off from that last segment, Roman. Dr. Death rushing to the ring, taking on yet another evil foreign menace in Mendoza here. As Doc storms the ring and attacks, plowing Gustavo over, tackle after tackle, until the Cuban gets wise and rolls to the floor, and the crowd is hyped up. I'll say that much. Is Mendoza finally going to climb back inside, but fares about the same. Williams just keeps plowing him over with tackle after tackle until it's the Oklahoma Stampede, and the music begins to play at the two count. No, no, I don't know if you caught that or not, Roman, but uh, uh, this shit was clearly over. Mendoza wasn't getting up. They, they crank the music before the three count, and Dr. Death just owning the Cuban here this week gets the win in one minute and 18 seconds. Yeah, Mendoza got a victory on our last podcast. We had talked about it, but no such luck this week. And uh, I don't know if the timing, you know, maybe I'm looking too much into it, but to hear Born in the USA after the the Russians attack, you know, but the crowd was just going ballistic when Doc ran out and he was all business. You know, he went to work on Mendoza. And then something I thought was cool, I don't know if you noticed it, there was one point, I believe it was a backdrop, that Doc did, and Mendoza still had a cigar in his mouth. Oh, no. I go, wow, that's pretty impressive. I must have missed that. That's, that's pretty damn cool. No, but you, you talk about placement on the card, just genius as well. Obviously, Dr. Death, he already had his issues with the Russians prior to Bill Watts, of course, so that already upsets him anyway. Remember, according to Bill, Dr. Death has hated Russians at least since college. So, you know, obviously. Or the and, womb. Right, right. Well, possibly that as well. We get the Born in the <laughs> USA music, which makes sense, and he's working Mendoza, who is a Cuban character. So it's not just a normal job guy, if you will. It's an actual foreign menace, if you want to call him that. So everything booked perfectly there to get Dr. Death over as uh, he's looking for revenge for Bill Watts and the United States of America. God bless Dr. Death as uh, 
We head into a commercial break. Back from break this time, Michael Hayes apparently preparing to wrestle here. This week going to be in tag team action. So he is replaced on commentary by the latest member of Mid-South Sports. It's Captain Frank Dusick. Joining the show, Dusick says he has known Bill Watts for a long time. And when Bill Watts sees the tape of what just happened, oh, buddy, that it's going to be one mad cowboy. And I thought Dusick was a great choice because, you know, Hayes was a commentator with Ross. A lot of times DiBiase was as well. And they were both in this match. You know, Ross could have done this match by himself, but Dusick was a good choice to have. I always enjoyed his commentary. He was very knowledgeable. So if you're going to replace a Hayes or DiBiase on commentary, I thought Dusick was a good choice. Yeah, Dusick played a pretty good straight man. Even when he was doing heel stuff, sometimes he'd play a pretty good straight man. Very intellectual, very intelligent when he when he spoke here. So didn't mind him at all, and he certainly fit the bill for an announcer by this point in his career. As they move away from the angle long enough to put over the UWF doing a fundraiser in your town for uh, nonprofit organizations, of course, as we head off to the ring for tag team action, it's the Freebirds of Buddy Roberts and Michael Hayes taking on the tag team of Ted DiBiase. And this week, Terry Taylor as Bad Street Blairs, the Freebirds out first and a little moonwalk there from Michael Hayes is out next. It's DiBiase and Taylor to DiBiase's bad reputation. Uh, the babyface is now in the ring as Buddy and DiBiase going to start off. And this crowd is hot, I wrote. They are loud here. They are still into this. They didn't get sucked dry after that giant angle with Bill Watts. And, and what a great matchup to have on TV. This legitimately is a main event in the arena in the country, what yeah, we're about many, to talk about right now. Not too many promotions are, are going to give you this on TV. As uh, Buddy and DiBiase starting off here, Michael Hayes busy gloating on the apron, leading to Ted DiBiase grabbing the hand of Buddy and forcing him to tag in that prissy sissy Hayes. Michael wasn't ready for it, but that's too bad. As DiBiase brings him into the ring, jacking Hayes' jaw, and P.S. going to exit the ring here. Finally, things settle down. Terry Taylor and Buddy Jack now in. And even a series of grounded head scissors, guys, by Terry Taylor gets giant pops. He literally locks Buddy Roberts into a head scissors on the mat three separate times, and every time you would have thought it was a DDT. Oh, the crowd was just... They were ready to cheer. I mean, they, they paid their money, and they wanted to let you know whether they liked you or hated you, you know, and uh, it, it made it fun to hear how vocal they were. They definitely were not sitting on their hands. No, I actually wrote here, my next note is, I've never seen a hotter crowd in wrestling history than 1986 UWF. And that's one of the reasons why... We chose this project. You know, we knew it was going to be great reliving it, and it's been a blast. It has indeed, and we're not even halfway over yet as the Freebirds managed to take control briefly here in the matchup until Michael Hayes tags back in, and Terry Taylor quickly tags out to Ted DiBiase. And remember, the story here is Michael Hayes wants no part of DiBiase, and DiBiase, he can't wait to get his hands on Michael Hayes. Teddy unloads until he runs into a boot in the corner, and now the Birds finally cutting the ring in half on DiBiase, working him over as Michael Hayes going to strut across that ring apron. DiBiase finally amounting a comeback, throwing a great series of rights and lefts, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, Roman, but amazing selling here from Michael Hayes. Even some great bumps for Ted DiBiase as Hayes no longer on Bad Street, but rather Dream Street, Jim Ross says. You know, and what was great, too, when Hayes and DiBiase were in the ring, you could feel like the hatred. You know, there, there was no side headlocks, backslides, leapfrogs. They were out there clubbering each other. You know, they were they were throwing punches. They were throwing haymakers, which helps add to the believability. If you really hate somebody, are you going to try to put them in a backslide? No, you're going to try to clean their clock, and that's what these two were doing. 
And uh, there was no pay-per-view back then for the UWF, but Michael Hayes didn't have to take bumps like this for, you know, a TV match. But man, he was on point here tonight. And then his buddy Robert's turn to get in the ring and he turns the clock back, bumping like a machine here uh, for the baby faces. Terry Taylor landing an atomic drop and then the double atomic drop by the baby faces as well there on Robert's. DiBiase, however, making the mistake of turning his attention to Michael Hayes on the apron and Roberts sending Teddy out to the floor, where Michael Hayes is now waiting, setting DiBiase up for a pile driver on the outside. A call back to 1981 Georgia, Roman, as Michael Hayes mm-hmm. trying for a pile driver, but DiBiase drives him backwards into the ring post to escape. Gotta love when they keep going back to that Georgia storyline. I, I love it. I love it. I just you can't ignore the past. I know Vince McMahon was notorious for that, but I always liked when somebody paid homage to the past. Yeah, this was great. Yeah, Vince McMahon loved to ignore the past. That's Tony Atlas. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, pal. That's Saba Simba. As uh, we, yeah. we, we continue on here, back inside the ring, DiBiase able to avoid that pile driver in the outside, but Buddy Roberts waiting inside with a swinging neckbreaker. Going to get a two count on Teddy, and then Roberts off that middle rope with a standing elbow. Once again, getting a near fall. And Michael Hayes, now he wants to tag in Roman. Of course he does, working DiBiase over as the crowd comes alive, chanting and cheering for their hero, Ted DiBiase, to get up and maybe even make a tag. And Teddy finally does counter a Michael Hayes suplex with one of his own. Michaels gets the tag out to Buddy Roberts, but DiBiase makes the hot tag to Terry Taylor. And Terry taking out both of the birds, and it breaks down quickly into a four-way melee. As the Freebirds collide, center ring, DiBiase hammering away on Michael Hayes, taking him over to the corner. Meanwhile, Taylor with a reverse rolling cradle on Buddy Roberts, but referee Tommy Gilbert busy getting DiBiase out of the ring. With Taylor in the roll-up on Buddy, Michael Hayes comes over and decks Terry with the left hook. And Hayes then performing a gourd buster on his own partner Buddy, using Roberts as sort of a projectile, gourd bustering Buddy Roberts on top of Terry Taylor. And the birds look like they're going to steal the one- Two, three, and we'll learn next week that move called the Bad Street Bomb, according to Michael Hayes, as the Freebirds look to pick up a win here. Eight minutes and 42 seconds. Thought that was a cool move. You know, it's not something you saw when one guy would take his own partner and drop him on another guy. You know, it was something a little bit creative. And, uh, you know, you were talking about how Hayes was bumping around and, and selling. To me, what, what a good example that Bill Watts set. If he can get beat up and blade and sell, Everybody else should be able to. Oh, absolutely. You know, not 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 that that was an issue, but I mean that's a great example. You know, like now, granted, Watts was going to you know be in the hero role and all that, but he bladed, got draped with the Russian flag, got attacked. So there's no reason that any other heel should be able to go. Well, I can't do that. So I mean, everybody had their working boots on at this time. They they sure did, and, and I, it's like you said, it bolstered the the morale in the locker room. They wanted to work harder because the owner was was working harder. So it worked out that, that way. And uh, here in the finishing moments, what a great sequence of moves there. Michael Hayes busting out that left hook using that bad street bomb as Freebird Fantasia will win again. Or wait, the other referee, there's only two, Carl Fergie was watching from the back, it appears, and he informs Tommy Gilbert of what transpired. And the end result is reversed. Apparently your winners now by disqualification, Ted DiBiase and Terry Taylor. And I, I, wrote, I got some notes here, Roman. I want to get your take on this. I wrote, it seems a bit odd. Why would double teaming be an automatic disqualification and overall just an odd match for Carl Fergie to die in the hill of? 
Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of weird. And, you know, UWF was known for not always being predictable. And this was a perfect example. I literally said to myself when I was watching this, like, oh, cool, the Heels got a victory. You know, that's pretty yeah. good for the Freebirds. And I did not see a referee, you know, coming out no. and changing the verdict. You know, was that was kind of surprising that they yeah. went that way. I thought it was over, too. Yeah, I, I'm not like you said. Wh- why this hill? Why was it? It wasn't like the Freebirds won the belts, or you know, like just kind of a random match, like to come out and change. And you know, the crowd popped, of course. And but it's just, I would have had no problem if the Freebirds won this match. Now, for some reason, I saw DiBiase and Taylor coming out of this winners. I don't know why they're not a full time tag team. The Birds are on a roll. But when the Birds won, I truly did think, okay, this one's over. I was a little underwhelmed because I, I wanted the faces to go over, but. I bought it. I thought it was over. And then Carl Fergie comes out there and I kind of saw where they were going, but I was like, why? There's, there's nothing at stake here to reverse this decision the way they did, but they do it here. The baby face is going to go over, I guess, to keep the fans at home happy. And Hey, at the end of the day, even though it is a reverse decision, we get a full main event style match here right here on TV. Yeah, that's something. And we got to see a conclusion. It wasn't, you know, 35 seconds and Hey, we'll see you next week. We got to see a conclusion. And, you know, like you said, the fans going, you know, not going home happy after this match, but being happier, you know, because Bill Watts, the beloved Bill Watts, had gotten beaten to a pulp earlier. So they got to see Doc win, and now they got to see D.B. and Taylor win. So I'm sure the fans are a lot happier after that. No, totally agree. As we come out of a commercial break here, Eddie Gilbert now in the ring and on the mic laughing at the expense of Bill Watts mocking the cowboy here. He says there's three things you don't do, Roman. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. And you don't mess around with Russians. And after the Lone Ranger's mask, I have to ask there. But Eddie says, suckers are born every day. And today, it was Bill Watts. Oh, this is some choice words. As a Hot Stuff International presents the Russians for the UWF Tag Team title action here to close out the show. UWF Tag Team Champions Fantastics taking on Ivan and Nikita Koloff. Accompanied to the ring by, yes, Eddie Gilbert, but also Korchenko. Uh, with the Fantastics coming out and only two minutes left in the program, I wrote, I'm not expecting a whole lot here, guys. And true to form, the tag team champions have to stop and hug a few ladies on their way to the ring. And with about one minute and 20 seconds left in the show, the Fantastics finally rush the ring. And the fight is on! But there is no match, guys, and it quickly becomes a four-on-two beatdown. The Fantastics trying to hold their own against Gilbert and all three Russians, but they're simply outnumbered. When out of nowhere, it's Dr. Death Steve Williams, and it's the Cowboy Bill Watts with baseball bat in hand. The bloody and bandaged Watts returns with a wooden ball bat as Jim Ross exclaims, He's walking tall! The heels wisely escape before Watts can take a swing at their head. The crowd explodes as Bill Watts returns, and he is armed. Jim Ross' sell job tonight for the flag burial earlier, and even more so here, Watts' return at the end of the show. Simply amazing. Yeah, it, it put the cherry on top of everything right there. And uh, not to be Debbie Downer, but I would have loved to have seen the Fantastics oh, co-offs. You, you know, that would have been fun to see. But, uh, you know, Gilbert again, joining forces with the Russians. And I, like you, knew we were not going to see a complete match. Gilbert cuts the promo. I'm looking at the counter like, oh, we don't have much time. And then when the Fantastics music hits, of course, they got to hug women and, you know, and shake babies or what, hug babies and shake women, whatever. You know, they got to acknowledge everybody. And uh, so we kind of knew we weren't going to get a full match. But to, but when Watts came out, head bandaged, bloody, 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. The crowd just ate it up. And when he had that bat and I've always been an Ivan Koloff fan. I was like, don't hit him. Don't, don't hit Ivan. Don't hit Ivan. You know, he, <laughs> he tried and uh, Ivan was able to get out the way and live to see another day. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I, w- I was going to say that at the beginning of the matchup that, man, I wish we had seen this, but I don't want to spoil the finish of uh, the fact that we weren't going to get the match. But I feel like that's why they gave us the, the Freebirds match in its entirety, because they knew that they, weren't, they were going to tease this, and we don't get any of this. This isn't even a match. It just becomes a wild brawl from the get-go. But you're right. I would have loved to have seen the Coloss and the Fantastics. Uh, somewhere, maybe somewhere down the line, it'll pop up on something. Maybe they Maybe they work somewhere. I, I don't know, but... Uh, we don't get it here. However, they certainly try their best to make up for it. Bill Watts returns, walking tall with a baseball bat in his hand. I wouldn't want to be one of the Russians right then and there. I'll tell you that because I'm sure he told them, if you don't get out of the ring, I'm going to swing. And so they made sure to get the hell out of the ring. And uh, But I, I, the only thing that bummed me out about this was it was happening during the credits. So we didn't get like a beautiful picture of Bill Watts, you know, with the cowboy bat in hand. But they'll actually replay this on Power Pro. So we will get to see it. Yeah, and, and, you know, two things we had talked about earlier was the excitement of Jim Ross on commentary and then the crowd made made Watts returning to the ring even extra special. You know, I mean, they popped. It was just so incredible. Like, you think about that. If Tony Khan ran to the ring in AEW, I don't think people would care. You know, but when Watts came out, it was like, oh, he's fighting for us. You know, it, it meant something that Bill Watts was fighting for what's right, you know, and for him to come out with the bat. The walking tall uh, on commentary by, by Ross. Like, yeah, that was pure excitement. And I'm big on separating a story week to week. But in this instance, you really couldn't. And even though he was just a promoter at this point, he was still you know considered one of the greatest wrestlers, certainly in the history of, of that, that territory, if not the history of the business. And, but Bill Watts coming out made sense because even if it was all in the same taping and even if they aired it the next week, yeah, the crowd was going to be as alive as they were there because it was all the same taping. But us at home... But it died down a little bit. It wouldn't have had just as much meaning as it did him returning at the same show. So we saw him. He was collapsing on his way out earlier in the show, but he returns here. And, I, you know, it made total sense to me because as I saw the first angle, the initial angle with the burial go on early, I said, why is this happening so early in the show? I would have saved this for later, but it all makes sense now. You had to give the cowboy time to recover. Exactly. And you can't keep a good man down, you know, just like on our previous podcast when Duggan got his head thrown into a bolt, you know, hanging from the ring post and he came back and that made it mean more. If he came back three weeks later, it wouldn't have been as dramatic, you know, but for Watts to come back at the end of the show, I mean, that the crowd just went ballistic and it was, it was fun to see, you know, all these years later, a lot of the stuff is still in our memory. You know, we don't have to jog our memory on a lot of this stuff. I remember Watts coming back out, and I still popped in, in my house watching it. You know, nobody was around, and I was right. still popping, and I knew what was going to happen. Yeah, it's an exciting, compelling TV right now in the UWF, and it's going to continue that way. Uh, we got a lot more to go, guys. Uh, even here on this week's program, as we continue on, that clear, that ended the show. Bill Watts returning with a baseball battle in pretty much anybody. As uh, we continue on here to Power Pro Wrestling, June the 1st, Jim Ross hosting on the show, we get a Dr. Death and DiBiase Born in the USA music video. And then a throwback to earlier this year, the March 1st UWF TV show. Coco Beware taking on Gustavo Mendoza. Yes, the dropkick match, guys. The match where Coco damn near snaps Mendoza's head clear off his shoulders there, picking up the win. We also get a throwback to Houston on March the 22nd, 1985. One-man gang taking on Brad Armstrong. Gang going to finish Brad off with a driving power slam. In about 11 and a half minutes, you got to love Power Pro 
for all the random competitive matches, Roman. And Armstrong, like we've said, just so underrated, so smooth. And anytime he can make an appearance, it was it was always good to see. You knew he wasn't going to get pushed to the moon, but just as a fan of wrestling, he was a fun wrestler to watch. Yeah, I mean, it was a head-scratcher of a match to fill in here on Power Pro, but at the same time, it was Brad Armstrong, so I knew it wasn't going to be bad. Right. You know, another way to showcase one-man gang who's new to the territory. Right, and they'll continue to do that here on Power Pros. We'll see. Uh, right now, though, we're going to go off to a localized promo promoting the Superdome June the 14th on the card. One of the matches, the Sheepherders challenging UWF Tag Team Champions, the Fantastics, in a New Zealand boot camp match. Here's the rules, guys. You must announce to the ringside physician not that you quit, Roman, but you must quit for your partner. Very unique. Yeah, that's definitely a unique one. I don't recall ever seeing a, a match like that where you're throwing in the towel for your partner. That, that's interesting. I was going to say, it's kind of like that coward waves the flag routine, but usually that's a second right. in the corner. This is your tag team partner. So not only does it mean more because your partners, but you're actually in the match too. You throw in that towel, you lose. Right, and and it's something, you know, it didn't happen, but just, fantasy booker like they could have turned that into an angle you know like if luke submitted for butch you know they could have had those two feud for a while or so you know just there there were possibilities in it but yeah it's not not a match i've ever seen before yeah if you could have go, gone back a few years when jonathan boyd could still work a little bit you could have easily brought him in and and had him team with whoever was going to go heal there so and then the other sheep herder had to find a, a new partner as well so yeah it could have been a lot of different opportunities they could, they could have done with that i guess in different times and different ways but yeah, just a very unique match. It caught me off guard. I thought it was just going to be a, you know, kind of a boot camp style match until Jim Ross explained the rules here. And I was just like, wow, really? Me personally, I would have rather just seen a regular boot camp match, you know, but I'm, I know. either I, way, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it was a good match, you know, uh, even though I never saw it. I'm fantastic and sheep herders. You've had to figure it was good. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. I would have liked to have seen that as we go on, we get a recap of Bill Watts being buried under the Russian flag, returning with the baseball bat. And then we close out the show with throwback. To Oklahoma City, April 28, 1985, we see the NWA world champion Ric Flair score a win over Jake the Snake Roberts in 11 and a half minutes. And of course, Ric Flair headed to the Superdome. He's uh, put over here on Power Pro. Meanwhile, Jake, well, got to bury the WWF any chance you get, Roman. Yeah, I was going to say, let's, let's stick it to Vince one more time and show him <laughs> that uh, his, his guy can lose. And we've got the video of it. There you go. As uh, I think he would have done that more with the dog had the dog ever lost. Right. <laughs> and so we go on the following week, June the 7th TV. Going to see how the Cowboy responds here this week. And boy, does he ever. Uh, UWF TV, June the 7th, tape back, May 25th, Tulsa Convention Center. Jim Ross and Michael Hayes on commentary once more. As we go back to last week, we open up the show. We see a clip of Dark Journey slapping Michael Hayes. And as the show begins, Hayes claiming that since that time, apparently Dark Journey has wrote him a letter apologizing for the incident. Uh, she's simply playing hard to get says Michael Hayes. Jim Ross would like to see that alleged letter. <laughs> Michael Hayes, just, it's just great. You know, being a heel, you can deny obvious things. And, yes. that, and Hayes knew how to play that up. You know, just obviously she wasn't writing him letters, but it's just so funny to hear his version of what's going on. Yeah, Michael Hayes and Bobby Heenan, probably two of the best at uh, denying the obvious. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what made him great heels. And it, yeah. was, it was fun to hear stuff like that. Of course I'm lying. That's what's getting me over, guys. Get real. And yeah. so we get going here this week. It's Kamala stepping into the ring. He's cornered here by manager Skandor Akbar and the one-man gang. Boy, Mike Reed on the other side has to be scared out here looking at Kamala and the gang ringside. But it is Kamala 
going one-on-one with Mike Reed, and that should be just enough uh, by itself, as Akbar getting on the microphone, issuing a challenge to any team who will take on the one-man gang in Kamala. I wrote, what a world-beating team that would have been. Kamala from Africa, and eventually Akeem from deepest, darkest Africa, Roman. Yeah, those two together, the, the visual of those two, it would have been fun to see them have a long run. I'm sure they, you know, tagged up occasionally or whatever, but they were never a constant tag team. No. And, and so ludicrous, the pairing, of course, it's a professional wrestling. I talked about Bob, I talked to Bob Roop about a match he, uh, he had with Spaceman Frank Hickey. I said, how crazy is that? Only in professional wrestling do you get an Olympian versus a Spaceman. But uh, here, here in the 1986, it's a man from Halstead Street, Chicago, teaming with a Ugandan native. Yeah, and uh, I guess the, the one thing they had in common was the love of money. You know, Skandar Akbar allegedly had all kinds of money, so that's why they're in a stable. Well, that in Africa, remember, the gang does become Akeem at some point. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I always like when people find their roots. Uh, so Kamala taking on Mike Reed here, and he's not waiting for the bell, attacking Reed, chopping him down, and lands not one, but two, count him two, big splashes. And Kamala, just like that, gets the win in 22 seconds flat. So the gang getting a win last week in 58 seconds. Kamala, he outdoes him here this week, 22 seconds. Yeah, Kamala made short work, and uh, I put my note that he hit him with a boot to the face, but Kamala didn't wear boots. But uh, yeah, to kick Reed in the face, and then the two splashes, Reed didn't stand a chance. No, not at all. So uh, these guys are world beaters on their own. Put them together and, uh uh-oh, look out, fantastics. Uh, I don't know that that ever takes place, but, man, what could have been? Yeah, it would have been fun to see Kamala and Gay. They could have wreaked some serious destruction, you know, (laughs) in the UWF. They could have bloodied quite a few baby faces had they wanted to go that route. Yeah, I don't know that Bill Watts was going to make new tag team belts that quickly again. Uh, But, yeah, I don't know that they would have been wearing the belts, but they certainly would have been champions for a while, I I think, anyway. Yeah, it would, it would have taken two, uh, two big behemoths to take down Kamala and the one-man gang. So show goes on from there. We get a recap of the Russians' Dr. Death, Bill Watts feud. We go back three weeks ago. We see Korchenko bearing the Russian flag over Perry Jackson. Dr. Death out to make the save, beating down Korchenko with said Russian flag. Then it was two weeks ago, Hot Stuff International trying to attack Bill Watts, but the Cowboy fighting them off with the help of Doc and DiBiase. And then, of course, last week, Eddie Gilbert apologizing to the Cowboy, but it was all a ruse as the Russians attack and bloody Bill Watts burying him in that Russian flag. And that all sets up the big matches coming up on the house shows, most specifically, again, Houston and the Superdome. So great recap package here this week. We know everything that we need to know heading into the big shows. Yeah, Watts, is, uh, he's got some very capable tag team partners, you know, whether he goes with Doc and DiBiase or Taylor or Duggan. He's got plenty of baby faces that would be happy to join his side. Indeed. And uh, after the recap, we actually go to the home of Bill Watts. He's standing by right now in his driveway. Here he is. It's the Cowboy in a very spirited promo. You know, there's got to be some place where any man can go to lick his wounds. And I'm hurting from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet after what happened to me. And what's more is hurting is what's inside of me. So I invited you here to my home because that's what it's really all about. People wonder why I get so upset about being buried by a Russian flag. Well, stop and think, since World War II ended, there have been 40 countries that have been buried by a Russian flag. That's one a year. And that's what it's all about here today, because they say the United States of America is going to be buried within 10 years. And you know, it all came about because we started playing by the rules and they don't. 
We let them liberate Berlin and lost Germany. In Korea, we couldn't cross the 38th parallel and their allies played tag and killed our boys. In Vietnam, we couldn't bomb Hanoi and, and mine the harbor. They had their rules that we had to play by and they could do it any way they wanted. And in Libya, thank God for President Reagan, at least he's trying to give us back some pride and rebuild our military. But if you really wanted to take Libya to its knees for what they've done in terrorism, you bombed their refineries. They'd had no more oil, they'd had no more economy. But we have to play by the rules and warn them we're coming and do everything just so. Well, let me tell you, if we keep playing by the rules, we're not going to have any homes. And Cowboy Bill Watts is not going to play by the rules. And when you have a street fight, there are no rules. I've called all my friends, Dusty Rhodes, Ernie Ladd, Duggan, DiBiase, Doc, Taylor, every one of them, to stand tall and be with me and Eddie Gilbert. You and that Russian, all those Russians are going to pay. Well, that certainly recaps. All right, so there it was, the Cowboy. He says he's hurting from head to toe, Roman, but he's also hurting inside. Watts was buried by the Russian flag. And there have been 40 countries buried by the Russian flag since World War II, at least according to Bill Watts. He says that's one per year. They say the U.S. will be buried by Russia within 10 years from 1986 because, America, we play by the rules. We had rules that we had to play by in the wars with Germany, Korea, Vietnam. I, so I guess if it, if it were up to Watts, Roman, uh, I guess we would have just bombed them all is what I'm getting here from him. <laughs> yeah, Watts was something else with his thing. You know, I, I, it was an interview from his house where he talked about he would fight for his home, you know, good old USA. And, of course, he had to throw in his political viewpoints. There was no getting around that. Well, you don't fuck around. You said to me the other day in a text, you said Bill Watts should have ran for president. Could you imagine Bill Watts president? Somebody, <laughs> Mr. President, uh, so-and-so did that. Bomb him. Bomb him. Bomb him. That'll show him. Bomb him. <laughs> I mean, mean, holy shit. We're going to kick their fannies. We're going to kick their fannies, bomb them. (laughs) So uh, as Bill Watts continued on there, he said, thank God for President Reagan, who was getting things done in Libya. But if it was up to the cowboy, he would bomb them, bomb the refineries and kill their economy. Very strong opinions here on Libya, uh, on Libya here by the cowboy, which which does explain a future wrestler going to be here very shortly in the UWF. Yeah, we're talking about the Libyan who... uh... Like Gustavo Mendoza got into his character a little bit. He sure did. Uh, thank God the cowboy, you know, uh, didn't buy into the gimmicks. Like he, he understood it was all a works. So, you know, he didn't take it out on that poor Libyan. Imagine what, you know, what he would have done to him in a different world. Maybe like ECW. It's like, well, you're playing Libyan characters. So, you know, we got to kill you. Yeah. Watts probably would have castrated him in the <laughs> ring, you know, under different circumstances. So the point of this entire promo, I wrote, I think because I'm not 100% positive, uh, is that Russia doesn't play by the rules, Roman, and the Americans, we have to. And it's given those evil commies the upper hand until now. Because if we keep playing by the rules, says Watts, we ha- we'll have no homes. Apparently, Russia going to come take our houses. As Watts says he's coming, and he's calling on his friends, Doc, DiBiase, Duggan, Dusty Rhodes, he even name drops Ernie Ladd here. And then he pauses for about five seconds and says, Taylor. Uh, promising that Eddie Gilbert and all the Russians will pay. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that he said lad, you know, who had horrible knees, you know, and had a hard time standing up at the end of his career, so to speak, you know, and I was just like, you're going to bring out Ernie Ladd? Like, I just thought that was weird. He hadn't wrestled in a while, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and then the long pause for Taylor. But, but yeah, he kind of planted the seeds. Like, you can hear in the interview that, 
okay, there might there might be some no DQ matches or some uh, cage matches or barbed wire. You knew something was going to kind of get extreme by the way he was talking. Yeah, so let's put the wrestling storyline aside for a minute. I, I have some uh, comments, some notes I, I wrote here. I wanted to run it past you and get your take on this. I wrote, in regards to the Cowboys' comments, specifically his politics, I wrote, uh, wow, uh, pretty sure some, maybe all of those comments uh, will get you thrown off the air today. And according to The Observer, some cities that aired this promo did receive a lot of complaints, imagine that, about the comments, and they weren't pleased with Bill Watts. So we're uh, two weeks into a giant new syndication package for the UWF, so probably not the best time to uh, get super political here and talk about bombing everyone to show our power. Yeah, see, I, I did not know that the networks were having problems with his commentary. You know, back in that time, I didn't have the Observer, didn't even know what the Observer was, you know, so I'm glad you mentioned that. And it's like, what timing? Like you said, you, you're just starting to branch out your product and now you got networks that are pissed off at you because your staunch political viewpoints. But Watts would have been perfect. Just you saying what he said for ECW. I remember back in the day I had that shirt that said politically incorrect and damn proud of it. it right. And it was an ECW shirt. Watts would have been the perfect guy to wear that shirt. Oh, he would have been walking tall there. That's for sure. But I, I just, I look back at this because, you know, I, I'm thinking today when I heard this promo, I don't even think he finished the promo before. I was like, boy, this UWF would have been canceled. <laughs> this came out today, but I, I started thinking there's no fucking way, even in 1986, that this was cool. Uh, and, and so, you know, I did a little digging. I, I, I went back to some observers around this time and uh, sure, sure enough, uh, Dave Meltzer reporting that there were some cities that were calling the cowboy and calling in and, and complaining uh, because they were getting complaints about the comments that he had been making, not just necessarily this promo, but I'm sure this promo specifically had a lot to do with it. But yeah, it's crazy because you think about it, just in the last couple of weeks, they spread their syndication package basically from coast to coast, and then he pulls this out. Yeah, and and it wasn't just the basic USA's better than Russia or like no, there was very, specific. Like very deep. Yeah, yeah, there was venom in what he had to say. And it's like, whoa, you know, and part of me wonders, I look back now all these years was was it always to get over an angle or get over himself? Or like, did he kind of feel that way deep down? And like, I, screw it. It's my now. It's my company. I'm going to blast the Russians for everything I, pretty, I got in me. Pretty positive. Everything that just came out of his mouth here had nothing to do with this angle outside of, you know, he's working against quote unquote foreign wrestlers. But I think everything he just said here, he truly believes. I, I don't know that anybody's making up uh, as a baby face that I want to bomb every country that ever pissed us off. Uh, in retaliation, I don't know how that you think, you know, in your mind, that's going to get you over as a good guy, if you will. But uh, so clearly, I think that's just, you know, his mentality. And he probably thought a lot of people felt that way. And that was a much different uh, time. You yes. know, the, there were no script writers. There were, you know, like they would tell you, you know, bullet points, you know, hey, you got a minute. Talk about, you know, a cage match in Tulsa and, and go. You know, so a lot of what Watts was saying, you got to believe he deeply really did believe all that stuff. Yeah, and we're not too far off from uh, burying the hatchet. I, and I know, like, the Nikolai Volkov character, it wasn't even barely over here in 1986 either as a Russian in the WWF. So it's just odd that he's selling this so hard. Yeah, yeah. He he put, uh, <laughs> you know, we had exchanged texts, you know, before we went on the air and everything just about Watts and his political viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Good gosh, I'm glad I'm glad he wasn't in Congress. You know, we'd we'd be you know we'd be at war with everybody. You know, and you know, you know, Uganda sent Kamala over. Let's bomb Uganda. You know, <laughs> he, he hated everybody. Bomb him. 
Yeah. What, what did Chicago say? Bomb them. <laughs> but sir, they're part of the United. Bomb them. I just feel like that's where we're going here with the Cowboy. As uh, we continue on with the show, we see the Russians in action. This is what I love. Bill Watts. He hates Russia. He hates the Russians. He wants revenge. He owns this company, but free enterprise. He allows them to continue to wrestle on his show. And we even cut to Russian music heading into the bumpers to, for commercial break. So a uh, little bit of uh, uh, wrestling realism there as we head off to the ring. Now, six-man tag team action. Ivan and Nikita Koloff teaming with Korchenko. Eddie Gilbert in their corner taking on the team of Ken Massey, Perry Jackson, and the debuting Jeff Gaylord, the Missouri Tiger there. Is Eddie Gilbert going to get down on his back here and have a laugh once again at the sucker Bill Watts? And I wrote, good to see Ivan still rocking that 1970s cape here. For this matchup as uh, quick tags by the Russians early on. See them work over Jackson. And then it's Ken Massey's turn as Nikita Koloff in. And Ken quickly eats the Russian sickle. Nikita Koloff going to pick up the victory for the Russians. One minute and 32 seconds. I wrote, Jeff Gaylord luckily never tagged in. Making his uh, debut. Doesn't even tag in. Jeff does try to make the save post-match. But he's tossed outside as Massey buried under the Russian flag. Pure evil, I tell you. Yeah, I tell you, the, the Russians draped the flag over Massey, and I don't know about you, but I was a little disappointed that Watts or none of the baby faces came out, you know, especially with all the heat and the patriotism. And I don't know the backstory if it was initially planned for Ivan and Nikita just to come in for the one shot, you know, but wouldn't it have kind of made sense for Watts to want to get revenge on, on Ivan for hitting him with the chain? And, and, you know, doggone it, he put the Russian flag over another American. I'm going to go out and get my revenge. Right, he you know, but the, nothing uh, happened. Yeah, he made that declaration that there will be no more Russian flags over the wrestlers here. And obviously, they put it over Watts, but they do it again here this week. So, yeah, you're right. After doing it to Watts, you would think he'd be out here to put a stop to it. But, uh, you know, again, part of the same tapings. I'm assuming locally the fans are probably assuming it's over for the night after Bill Watts comes back with the baseball bat and things of that nature. But, yeah, for us here on TV, you're right. Uh, where is Bill Watts? Where is the Cowboy here this week? He's cutting promos at home. So maybe we, we're to assume on what? TV that he's not there. Right. And like you, like you said, that was, you know, the way he ended the show, you know, but where's Doc? Doc's hated Russians ever since college. Why didn't yeah, he run out? Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> no, I, I totally get it here. And Jeff Gaylord, uh, what an odd way to make a debut. Very auspicious debut. He doesn't even tag in, nor should he have. Should have been protected here a little bit since he's coming over from pro sports. I guess Bill Watts didn't want to job him out clean here, but uh, he doesn't do anything. So I just thought it was odd to throw him in there when you maybe could have found somebody else to put in that third wheel. Exactly. I wonder if they told him, just stand on the apron and watch. See if you can learn something. That is kind of weird. You know, here's your debut, but don't do anything. Well, one thing he didn't learn was how to take a bump out of the ring, because I don't know who tossed him out of the ring, man, but he, he, it's it awkward, and it looks like he could have got hurt. So, uh, yeah, he's got a lot to learn here as he uh, gets going with the UWF. And I don't even think this is the last time Jeff Gaylord steps in a ring without having to wrestle here in the first few weeks with the company. But uh, we'll get into that when we get there. Well, Roman, I got a question for you. What's better yeah. than a Bill Watts promo? Two Bill Watts promos. That's right. You've caught on here. Roman knows what's up. Right now, guys, we're going to head off to the cowboy Bill Watts, and he has one of those friends he talked about along with him. It's the Mac and Dream, baby. Duffy Rove. Mama lives there. And we may have to be careful what to say, but she's used to it because she raised you. She put up with you being a bully from Austin, Texas. I know she had more phone calls when you was in school kicking kids' tails and taking names. Well, that's what we got to do again. Because hot stuff Eddie Gilbert has got these Russians together and they're coming to our place, our backyard, and they think they're going to run over us. You know, let me tell my mama something, you know, being a bully has been in me all my life. 
Russia. And Bill Watts is a bullet, too. Many times we lay on the concrete floor, stomping each other's heads in, kicking each other's guts in because we fight for what we believe in. And now all of a sudden, it is a trend, if you will, to sell weed. It's a trend to go to Russia and worry about they blowing up their own country. Well, hell over here, it ain't no trend in Texas. The only trend in Texas is Cowboy Bill Watts, Dusty Rose, and Dr. Death in Texas. Go Justice. with it, baby. Texas Justice is a bunkhouse match. That's right. Come as you are. We should hang them like you understand? I have been known to drink 27 case of beer before a bunkhouse match. Just as mean as I don't, Mama, I don't mean that much. The mud but of the beer, it's so the thing is, if you're mad at me out there, that's fine. I hope so, because I'm mad too. In Houston, Texas, Cowboy Bill Watts, Dustin Rose, the American Dream, and Dr. Death now bring Houston, Texas justice. He has a new song, Bill, that says, when I die, I may not go to heaven, but it's Texas is as close as I'm going to Let me tell you, there. if you don't want to see the mud, the blood, and the beard, don't be there. It's going to be ugly. Don't be mean. We're going to kick tail, take names, and then we're going to stop that mud hole dry again. Dusty Rhodes, American Dream, Cowboy Bill Watts, and Dr. Death. We hate Russia! All right, there it was. And this is another fun one. They're talking about being bullies in their youth, and it's time to go back to being bullies to take out those Russians. Texas Justice is what they call it, even though the Cowboy's from Oklahoma. So Texas Justice, if you will, baby. As Dusty Rhodes, been known to drink 27 cases of beer. 27 cases for a bunkhouse match or a street fight, baby. So, wow, that's a lot of beer. More than entree. Yeah, that number really <laughs> jumped out. I think maybe he meant 27 cans, which would have been a lot. But I'm like, 27 cases? No, it was dusty. He I meant cases. What, what, <laughs> when I heard that, my jaw dropped. You know, like, that seems a little extreme. It's a, it's a little bit much, but what else do you expect from Big Dust out here? But that closing line, I already posted this on, on, on uh, social media. They got over like Rover. Uh, Bill Watts saying they're going to stomp a mud hole in him and walk it dry. And then he closes it with three words. Dusty Rhodes, American Dream, Cowboy Bill Watts, and Dr. Death, we hate Russia! We hate Russia! And I wrote, well, that sums up the entire feud in a nutshell. Three words. If you guys never saw anything up until this point, you know now that they hate Russia. We hate Russia! I'm so glad he said that, because I would have never figured that out up until that point. I'm so glad he cleared the air on that. Uh, it's, it's, it's ludicrous, though. It's the most ridiculous. I mean, you know, he's talking about bombing things earlier, which is just insane in itself. But then he follows that up with a second promo on the same show, vehemently saying, we hate Russia. What an what a odd way to close the promo. But, he's, but again, <laughs> summing up the entire feud in three words. But it was believable. I mean, there was passion. It didn't seem like he was, it seemed very believable. So it was kind of like, yeah, I can see that. He hates Russia. <laughs> so, I'm pretty sure that comment also wouldn't make air today. As a Watts, he sure had this strong opinions uh, about politics and war. Yeah, he, and he was never shy. <laughs> he was never shy. He was consistent about him all the time. And clearly he thought he was in the majority because when he said these things, I think in his ear, he was just hearing all these people popping. For, for the comments that he's making here, but we'll see how that plays out. Is uh, the big matches are coming? Six man tag team matches, most specifically Bill Watts, Doctor Death, and Dusty Rhodes coming for all three Russians at some of the bigger shows. Of course, DiBiase going to factor in there sometimes as well. But man, I, I can't wait till we get to some of those pro uh, matches because uh, we're going to see even segments of those matches are aired on TV. I want to hear the crowd response for those. But 
For now, we're off to a fabulous Freebirds music video set to Can't Stop Rockin', taken all from Dallas footage. No shame here by the cowboy. I wrote, there's no way that Bill got the rights to this footage. Pillaging the talent and invading their city? World class? There's no way Fritz von Erich gave him this footage legally to use here. So the ultimate insult, showing a new music video of the Freebirds dominating the Dallas talent. I thought that was a little unusual. You know, like we said before, I know it's our guys can beat your guys, but the whole video was world class. Yeah. And they had been there long enough where they could have mixed in some footage of them, you know, beating up DiBiase or, or, you know, hurting the Terry Taylor or, you know, Gordy pile driving Doc or, you know, there was stuff they could have done that would make you want to go see that matchup at the arena. Oh, Freebirds versus Doc DiBiase and Taylor. Let's go see it. And to just show them beating the competition of world-class, I was like, wow, the whole video was like that. Yeah, it was clearly, kind of surprising that, to me. Clearly, that was very specific to the fact that they're invading Dallas, the, the territory, the city, in late July. And obviously, they're, they're figuring they're going to try to take over the city because they're building hard here. If you're using a segment of television here in June that, that's seen worldwide for a specific city you're coming to, obviously, your, your plan is to take over that city and run it as a major, major operation. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it w- it was something. And, you know, and to keep on rocking, like, I'm old school. I, I, st- I still like Bad Street. You know, give me the yeah. Bad Street music instead of keep on rocking. Oh, man. Well, t- you got to talk to Joel Watts about that one as uh, we continue on here. We get a- we've already heard from the Cowboy twice now, guys. And now it's off to Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and the Russians. As Uncle Ivan says, he felt such great pleasure in Gilbert setting up Bill Watts there last week. The Heels promoting the six-man matches coming up in Houston, billed as a bunkhouse match there, and a street fight at the Superdome. Same difference, Roman. The big six-man tags that continue to build. We've heard from Watts. We've heard from the heels now. There's not a whole lot left to do. you got to figure if it's the Koloffs and Korchenko, you got to figure Korchenko's the one taking the fall. You know, maybe Ivan would have, you know, he's a consummate professional, but just thinking logically in my head of those six, Korchenko had to be the one getting beat. You would think. It certainly wasn't Nikita, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, they were pushing Nikita to be a monster and, uh, Rightfully so. He had that look, you know, I remember the wrestling magazines would call him the Russian road warrior. You know, he, he had that physique and that intimidating look to him. As uh, we continue on here with the show, we just saw this match actually as part of the first round of the uh, UWF title tournament, but we get it here on TV uh, from the Tulsa convention center. It's Brett Wayne Sawyer taking on Jack victory with lady Maxine in his corner and Sawyer small, but quick, very efficient in the ring. Unfortunately, victory, Quick to take over with some basic heel tactics here. Maxine even getting in some cheap shots on the outside. But Jacko finally running face first into a double boot from Sawyer in the corner. And Brett unloads with a pair of drop kicks. He tries for a third, but misses. And victory right back on top. But from there, Maxine pulling the middle rope down, causing Sawyer to fall out to the floor. But the crowd erupts. What is going on? We learn that Dark Journey has arrived ringside. With Sawyer now down and out on the floor, Victory and Max turn their attention to Journey, taunting her to get in the ring. But DJ proves to be a distraction, Roman, as Sawyer has time to recover. And Brett Wayne back in the ring, unloading on Jack Victory and Sawyer, grabbing Jack by the hair and launching Victory over the top rope, sending him flying out to the floor for the intentional disqualification. So Jack Victory going to get the DQ win here, 4 minutes and 38 seconds. 
and something that we had talked about the reaction that Perry Jackson got from the crowd. Mm-hmm. The crowd was really, really into this match. And this I mean, was these are hour two, two, hour two of the tape, right? And these are two, you know, mid card underneath guys. It right. wasn't a main event, but I mean, the crowd really got into it, and you know, good back and forth action and. When they really started to pop, like you said, Dark Journey came out. I don't know if you saw it. At first, you see some lady running yes. around ringside to yep. her chair. Mm-hmm. And I go, who the hell is that? So you did know, I. Yep. Just some lady, I guess, just wanted to get back to her seat. Maybe she was getting a hot dog and wanted to get back to her seat to watch the action. But I go, the crowd's popping for a fan? Like, right. I didn't get it. Then all of a sudden, Dark Journey comes out. And uh, it was kind of cool after Brett through victory over the top rope for the DQ, he motions like to the two girls, like go, go at it. And dark journey and Maxine got in the ring and uh, yeah, they went to town. Yeah. So if case said, you know, when this went down first, I agree with you. I saw the girl running around ringside. I said, who is that? I thought something was going on. Then I realized it wasn't anybody of any particular, uh, you know, fame. It was just a fan, but I agree with you. I think she saw dark journey coming to the ringside area and she said, Oh shit. Something's about to go down. I need to get back to my seat. And she goes running back to see what the hell's going to happen here because it wasn't just seconds later that Dark Journey does make it down to ringside. And in case anybody's wondering, why did Sawyer fling victory over the top rope and get disqualified? I thought for sure he was going to come back in and sneak the win, but obviously they're trying to protect victory. They don't have a lot of plans for Sawyer, so they don't give him the pinfall here. But he does eject victory from the ring, and he does so, as you pointed out, so that he can let the ladies get it on. And they did not look real smooth. I, I had heard a lot of the women's brawls in the UWF were kind of shoots, you know. Yeah, and that's they, that's uh, one word. Yeah, they, in fact, I have that word in my notes for sure. <laughs> yeah, they kind of rolled around, and it, it didn't look work. You know, it was uh, it was almost like somebody told them, "Hey, you two go out and act like you're in a real fight." You know, and uh, it wasn't pretty, but the crowd got into it, and uh, you know, Hayes even put Dark Journey over on commentary. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, what a, what a ball of energy or what a spitfire or something, something along those lines. Cause mm-hmm. Maxine is a lot taller, a lot bigger, more physically imposing, but dark journey held her own. Yeah. So Brett Sawyer out here, he's allowing dark journey for a one-on-one encounter with lady Maxine and the crowd goes nuts for this is dark journey. And Max both immediately hop in the ring. There, there's no downtime here. They're coming right at each other. And the, Cat fight is on, tussling and choking, their bodies twisting and turning in unnatural ways. Uh, screw the cat fight, Roman. I said, how about a shoot fight? Dear God, you're beating the crap out of each other here. Finally, Victory grabbing hold of Lady Max and pulling her out to safety, and Maxine looks pissed off. Is maybe Journey got the best of her here? Not really sure. Uh, but Maxine from the outside lashing out on the floor at Journey before storming off in a heated manner. Now, there's actually an even better fight between these two coming up in Houston. And you want to talk about, I mean, th- there was actually punches or, or maybe open hand palm strikes, but they were being thrown at, at hundred miles an hour. And I actually put that up uh, on my social media as well. And people were just amazed by it, especially on Facebook. I got a lot of response for it. It blew my mind. And when I say they were twisting and turning in unnatural ways, it's kind of like when you're starting to go one way and then you just pivot the other. I mean, it was like a literal shoot fight. These guys were trying to turn to the left and the other one, forcing him to the right and it just looks so awkward and i mean dangerous yeah i was gonna say that's how you get hurt you know when somebody right. doesn't know how to work and it's more of a shoot and uh not to disappoint any newer fans or anybody that wasn't familiar with uwf in 86 
when we say cat fight, it's not what you think where they get down to their bra and panties or anything. like back then when it was a shoot, when it was a cat fight, it was punches and hair pulling. It wasn't uh bras and panties like ECW. Well, you got Missy's not even here yet. Missy's told the stories of her fights with dark journey and how people lost teeth and lost hair and, and uh, things of that nature. There was a lot of injuries between those two because, uh, I don't know that anybody ever taught Dark Journey how to work anything. There certainly wasn't. I'll tell you this. Go check out the, the fight that I was talking about from the Houston feed. Uh, it's definitely on my Facebook, on my Twitter. I think it might be on my YouTube. If it's not, I'll try to add it there as well. But uh, basically, my point is there, there's nothing worked about those punches at all. No, no. And, uh, yeah, you had mentioned the teeth and everything. Yeah, I had heard that, that they legitimately got hurt. You know, here, yeah. here you got 250-pound men working in the ring for 20 minutes, and they probably came out of their, their match not as injured as the women that squirmed around on the canvas for, for 30 seconds. So this thing really just starting to get going. Unfortunately, it's not going to last very much longer. We'll get to that on the next episode of Regional Wrestling, guys. But for now, man, the, the heat is not on Jack Victory. It's on Dark Journey and, and Lady Max for sure. I, I wish we could have got the blow off and, and the real fight in the ring. But honestly, if we had gotten that far, I don't know that, you know, somebody probably wouldn't have been walking. Right. And, you know, I... I don't know any of the background of Maxine, you know, if she was an athlete or so it's just, if you're taking two people, you know, dark journey has been acknowledged, you know, was a, was a stripper. And so, you know, we're probably talking about two women that were not really trained athletes, you know, to get in the ring and mix it up. So it's not a surprise if they ended up getting hurt. Well, at least Maxine had been around the business a little longer. I know she did go to Moolah's camp. She got that, you know, couple week gig with the WWF before Moolah kiboshed that because they were going to push Maxine and not Moolah. And then uh, I think she wound up in Florida for a little bit too, you know. So right. Was, and then you know here she is in the UWF. So she at least has been around the business for maybe a couple years. I'm not saying she got a lot of work in, but at least she kind of understands things. And even when they're doing this fighting, it's more like Max is trying to protect herself than she is trying to kill Dark Journey. But on Journey's end, this shit is real. I mean, she's throwing kicks even when they're pulling Maxine out of the ring in all of these cat fights, at least three of them that, that air on TV. Uh, she's throwing kicks at her when she's not even protected. I mean, like you're trying to kick somebody's head off on the mat. If somebody said to Journey, treat this thing real, that's what she did. And you nailed it. When Maxine was walking away from the ring, you did see frustration, maybe a little mm -hmm. anger. Like yes. there, was, there was a look on her face like, this isn't how I wanted things to go. No, yeah. So I think she was naturally trying to work when they got in the ring, and Journey just doesn't know how to work. And, she, and not only does she not pull her punches, but she's just treating this as real. Who, who knows what Dick Slater taught her back in the day? As uh, <laughs> we continue on here, we're going to see a little more of that before uh, that feud goes bye-bye. Uh, but right now it's highlights again from the UWF title tournament. We see Hacksaw retiring the North American title, the one-man gang attack, which leads to the cracked skull. The finals, we see Duggan and Gordy, some highlights there. The Freebirds promo that follows Terry Gordy winning the title and a look at Duggan's split wig. Uh, that about sums up this uh, package here. But you said you, you got to see this again during this. And you, now you really realize just how big and wide that, that hole was in the head of Jim Duggan. Oh, yeah, it, it's it's incredible. And uh, like, like we said on the last podcast, it made Duggan look to be a superhero to, to overcome the the odds. He, he didn't win the title, but just to even get back in the ring and fight for the title was kind of a moral victory. Yeah, even though it wasn't planned, you know, getting your head cracked open, 
You want to talk about a Spirit of 76 angle? Boy, that one was uh, totally legit, and uh, I bought into it. So, uh, But yeah, Duggan will be back here fairly shortly, guys. Certainly probably going to go after Terry Gordy in that UWF title. All the Freebirds, I'd like to think. Uh, as we close out this episode, we've got one more match scheduled, and oh, it's a doozy. It's television champion Buzz Sawyer with Rick Steiner in his corner defending the title against Terry Taylor, who was accompanied to the ring by Chavo Guerrero. Chavo out there to combat Steiner. Of course, Chavo's had his issues in recent weeks, months, with Sawyer and Steiner. Uh, but sadly, there's only five minutes left again this week on TV, so I don't have a lot of hope here, Roman, but we'll wait and see. As the match gets going, great exchange to start out with Taylor landing a nice body block, and a Mad Dog comes back, laying in some stiff forearms across the chest of Taylor, but Terry right back at it with a backdrop and a dropkick, sending Sawyer upside down backwards through the ropes out to the floor. Man, I'm going to miss that bump. Back inside, though, Buzz Sawyer is as Terry Taylor again tries for another crossbody, but this time Buzz Sawyer dropping down, Terry missing the move, and the momentum sees Taylor go flying out of the ring and onto the floor. Finally, Terry Taylor rolling back inside the clock, counting down here as Buzz Sawyer seems to smell blood, suplexing Terry and then going to the top rope, looking to hit that mad dog splash. But Terry Taylor moving out of the way as Sawyer going to miss that big dive. Terry looks to be back in control, but he's tripped up from the outside by Rick Steiner. And once again, it's Buzz Sawyer right back on top. And now we've got a fight on the floor. Chavo Guerrero fighting it out with Rick Steiner, Roman. As, oh man, the credits begin to roll. I wrote, boo. Uh, as we see Buzz Sawyer going for a suplex here. The show about to go off the air. It looks like we're just about out of time. But wait, Taylor countering a suplex into an inside cradle. One, two, three. Did that just happen, Roman? With 20 seconds left in the program and the credits rolling, Terry Taylor has defeated the Mad Dog to become the new UWF TV champion. Match goes four and a half minutes. And think about how much action there was in that four and a half minutes. You didn't feel cheated. There was a lot of like, you know, Sawyer with the hard hitting blows and then Sawyer doesn't often get enough credit for his athleticism. You know, he does that spot where he did the leapfrog and then immediately dropped down so Taylor could jump over him. And, I mean, that was done to perfection. And then that bump might have been even more ridiculous than the previous ones. Like, it just (laughs) – when I look at that, even though you've seen it, this one seemed even more intense, extreme, whatever word you want to – like, whoa, you know, like Sawyer going to the outside like that. I had mentioned that the surprise of last week, you know, having the decision reversed in the Freebirds match uh, against Taylor and DiBiase, when they started, Ross started, we're almost out of time, and they started rolling the credits, I was not thinking we're going to see a new TV champion crowned. This is one of the few times when they rolled the credits, you actually see a finish. And it was a cool finish, you know, as Buzz goes for the vertical suplex, Taylor lands on his feet and quickly does an inside cradle, one, two, three, a new television champion was crowned. And like you said, sadly, we won't be seeing that bump of Sawyer. Sawyer's going to be gone, you know, which really sucked. And wherever Sawyer was at, I always wanted to watch him. He wouldn't have been fun to get in the ring with, but no. as a fan, to watch him, like, he was fun to watch. Yeah, he's not completely done here yet, guys. We'll see him at least one more time that I remember. I know he's going to take on Ted DiBiase here in a week or two on television, so we do have that to look forward to, but... Uh, not only do we get a finish during the credits rolling, but we get a title change during the credits rolling. And that right there, 
forcing us uh, to never change the channel again before the very end of the program, because now you never know what may happen. So very smart there on the Cowboys part. Yeah, and think what we've had in the last few weeks. You know, it's a, it's a relatively new organization. You know, they went from Mid-South, of course, to the Universal Wrestling Federation. Mm-hmm. But now you have a new world champion, and you just had a television champion crowned as well. So, I mean, there's excitement. There's a buzz in the air because you've got new champions. Yeah, and you were right. They crammed a lot into four and a half minutes here. Lots of action. You didn't feel robbed. I was, like you, saying, oh, this is over. The, you know, the credits started rolling. That was it. I, I didn't see this match ending in four and a half minutes either way. But once the credits hit, it kind of reminded you, oh, yeah, we're not getting a finish. Only we got a finish. And it totally caught me off guard because I didn't remember when this happened, how it happened. So this is something that really you know caught me off guard. And I was pleasantly surprised. I loved it. And again, much like last week with the Cowboy and the Baseball Bat, we get a replay here on Power Pro without the credits. So we get to see the, the actual finish without credits in our face. And just thinking, you know, we got Sawyer and Taylor. Granted, it was a short match. But that's like a main event caliber match. We got that on free TV. The previous week, Taylor and DiBiase versus the Freebirds. I mean, they're not just giving you stars. They're giving you marquee matchups, which at yes. that time was not something you saw a lot of. It's not like today where you turn on Raw and, you know, Cena and Orton or, you know, whatever. Like the guys you've seen a hundred billion. It was a big deal to get a marquee matchup like that. And, you know. Watts kept delivering every week, week after week. You know, he kept giving you something to get excited about. Yeah, and it wasn't like WWF where you get the uh, the February, the May, the November sweeps, the matchups, Rick Rude and Coco Beware, where you kind of know who's winning walking in. Even if even if Coco fires up, you know, you know Rick Rude's getting that pinfall. Sometimes they'd use it right. just to get over an angle or something as well. But here, man, they give you some serious marquee matches. It has nothing to do with sweeps week or sweeps month, if you will. It's It's just... Bill Watts putting over his product, and if this is what they're giving away on TV, it makes you wonder, what the hell are they doing at the house shows? I gotta go. And not just the big names. He would elevate guys that you wouldn't think of. I, yeah. I don't know of anybody that thought Savannah Jack would amount to, any, <laughs> to a hill of beans. You I know, sure and you look back now, like they, they made a big deal out of them, you know? I tell you what, the first time I saw Savannah Jack, I didn't see much there. I thought, who is this? This, you know, I, I, as a kid, I'm not thinking this isn't going to last long, but I'm thinking like this guy's not going to be, you know, whatever. But like you said, man, it's amazing what Bill Watts would do. And, and it worked most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. The, the kind of makeshift tag teams, uh, you know, of uh, Wild Bill Irwin and uh, Leroy Brown. And, you know, he, Watts just somehow was able to get the most out of his wrestlers and he, preached on making it look real and believable. And uh, yeah, he was the right man for the right spot. I mean, that was just such a wonderful time at UWF 1986. So last week we went with the Cowboy in the ring, swinging a baseball bat. This week we see a television title change. You can't ask for better TV than this. No wonder the UWF at the time, well, what claimed to be like the number one TV rated wrestling show. I don't know that that was factual at all times, but I could see why if it was, at least in the markets that it aired in, as we continue on here, June the 8th, one final piece of business here this week, talking about one more edition of Power Pro. We're going to fly through this one, guys. We kick off the show, Jim Ross hosting Freebird's music video. Once again, can't stop rocking down there in the world-class territory. Uh, we go back to the May 30th UWF title tournament, the first round. We see Brett Sawyer taking on Jack Victory. Victory will advance there, going to go over and lose to Kamala in the quarterfinals. We talked about that the last time out, Roman, so we'll continue on here. We get a replay of Dusty Rhodes and Bill Watts cutting that promo again. We hate Russia! We hate Russia! 
Also, we hear from Baron Von Raschke, who is coming in to uh, do the joint shows with Watts, the Crockett-Watts shows in Houston. It's going to be Baron taking on Magnum TA. And at the Superdome, Von Raschke going up against Robert Gibson. Because remember, Ricky Morton going to be challenging Ric Flair for the NWA world title there. As we continue on with UWF action, we go to throwback match to the Irish McNeil Boys Club, October the 1st, 1983. It is Max, the missing link. Remember when he had a name, guys? Uh, missing link here, managed by Skandor Akbar at the time, taking on Mike Bond. Uh, missing link actually being aired here specifically because he's going to be filling in for Duggan at the Superdome. So it's actually not going to be Duggan and Kamala. It'll be Link and Kamala. Yeah, two guys that uh, weren't exactly known for cutting promos. Well, neither was the Baron, and we got that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also here on Power Pro, a throwback to Tulsa, Oklahoma, July 27, 1985, the WrestleFest. The one-man gang taking on Wildcat Wendell Cooley, continuing to put the gang over here. Last week, Brad Armstrong, now Wendell Cooley. I wrote, what happened? Did Bill Watts just invade Alabama TV? Yeah, Wildcat Wendell Cooley. He was, uh, I don't know, he, he, he was somebody, he didn't really do anything for me, you know, but uh, there were people that liked him down in Continental. I was going to say, he was over in Bama. <laughs> you better not tell right. them that. <laughs> Sorry, Gene Jackson, as uh, we go, and Blair Krieger, by the way. Uh, we go back to Houston, guys. May the 30th, we see the, the gang attacking Jim Duggan once again, the finals of the tournament. So they're making the rounds a couple weeks here, reassuring everybody, making sure we all know uh, how it played out, who the UWF champion is, what's going on with Jim Duggan. I don't really mind that, especially here on the B Show, Power Pro, as the show continues on, a throwback match to the January 11th TV we see Terry Taylor scoring a win over the Nightmare, Randy Colley. Oliver Humperdinck was still here at that time as well. Taylor scoring the win there with the five arm. And then we close it out moments, uh, the closing moments, once again, of Terry Taylor picking up that victory over Buzz Sawyer, capturing the television title without the credits, which I thought was nice. You know, and, and like you said, it, it is a good idea to show again, you know, the UWF tournament, Terry Taylor, like on the B show. People didn't DVR things. There was no DVR back then. Right. So, you know, if, if you were working and couldn't watch the A show and, you know, and you're getting the recap, oh, okay, now you can see it, you know? So that was kind of good. But something I, I was just looking at, wanted to, wanted to add, if you don't mind, that mm-hmm. back in the day, Ray, if you called one of your buddies and said, hey, why don't you come on over? We're going to watch Jack Victory versus Brett Wayne. <laughs> Okay. They probably wouldn't have wanted to come over. All right. But if they were already at your house and watching the way the crowd was and the comment, they probably wouldn't have left the room. That's how special UWF was. You know, this victory, Brett Wayne, that match meant something because yeah. the crowd ate it up. And it was just like, what a time it was to be a fan in 86. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they've been alive uh, from opening to closing both shows in a row now. It's same TV taping, so at least two hours into the TV taping, and this crowd is as hot now as they were when it started, if not hotter, if that, that's even possible. Uh, but we're going to close out this week's show, Rome. We're going to zip through really quickly, if you have the time, the Sam Houston Coliseum show for June the 13th. Well, let's do it. All right, so we, we saw some really great Houston Coliseum shows at the start of 1986. And then it kind of tapered off. The talent was there, but not a lot of stories being told, not a lot of big matches being set up there in Houston. And it led to some drawings of like just over 2,000 fans at the Coliseum. Then they bring the UWF title tournament to the city of Houston, and they draw, I think it was a little over 7,000. And here we are just a couple weeks later. It shows you if you build it, they will come, Roman. 7,900 fans out here on the June 13th Sam Houston Coliseum card. That's a good turnout by today's standards. 
Absolutely. You know, 7,900, that's, that's a good crowd. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, to go from 2,000 to 72, 7,300, whatever it was a couple weeks ago, and you've just, you were just here two weeks ago, and you turn around, and not only do you do another 7,000, but almost 8,000 this time. So you, you're actually bringing more in. More people are coming back here. Right. So it's a, it says a lot for Bill Watts, his booking at the time, the talent that are headed, headed in. As uh, Here's some of the results, or actually all the results for the show. Some of these will actually wind up airing on TV in, in future weeks. Uh, they might wind up on my YouTube. But uh, uh, it's Perry Jackson scoring a win over the one-man gang by disqualification. Uh, this match does make air, and I, I wrote here in my notes when I saw it, the one-man gang just fucks Jackson up with stiff knees and chair shots. And then it's the 747 splash, but the gang already disqualified as he just beats the living crap out of poor Perry Jackson here in just a couple minutes' time. Yeah, what a what a rough, rough way to make a living, you know, to, <laughs> to go out and have the one-man gang whack you with the chair. Yeah, but again, gang laying it in. I mean, really laying it in to get over here. And, he, and the story with him is, outside of those Power Pro matches, you know, from going back in time where he's picking up wins, he, he doesn't seem to care if he wins or not. He just wants to screw people up really badly right now uh, to really get over as the monster heel. As we go on, a rematch of sorts here, a no-disqualification match. Going to see Chavo Guerrero defeat the former television champion Buzz Sawyer with an awesome-looking corkscrew flying forearm. It was amazing. I didn't see it coming. He kind of bounces off the ropes. I figured he was going to hit him with something. Throws the forearm, but before he throws the forearm, does a complete 360 with his body. Spinning, flying forearm. Just looked awesome. Chavo Guerrero picking up the win there, and that feud comes to an end. Chavo obviously going over here because Buzz Sawyer on the way out. Well, those two out of history, and, you know, they even acknowledged that during the Taylor Sawyer uh, title change. You know, they acknowledged when Chavo came out as Taylor's second. So, you know, they're definitely no strangers to each other. I thought they always had good chemistry when they were in the ring together. And, uh, yeah, that'd be a good one to see. Uh, Also here in Houston, it was the missing link making his return to the UWF, scoring a win over Jack Victory. And uh, wouldn't you know it, Dark Journey comes ringside, and we get that cat fight I was talking about. Of the three that I believe aired on TV, this by far was the most real of them all. I mean, the other ones, yeah, they're rough, and uh, they're, they're certainly shoots. But this one... Journey was thrown down. There were literally punches thrown, uh, multiple punches f- thrown. I don't know how Maxine got out of there with her clothes on because she was she was tearing them off, and Jim Ross was just going nuts on commentary. You wonder if it wasn't just the fact that they weren't like really, like I alluded to earlier, you know, athletic, so to speak. If there really was any legit beef with those two, you know, not breaking any ground here, but women can be a little petty sometimes, sure. and you know, and the competition. I wonder if there was a little something personal there. You know, just from everything I've heard, I don't believe so. I think this is just dark journey. I mean, you know, <laughs> okay, her background in life. I mean, she's you know, she's just uh, she's out there to get it done, I guess. But just from what I've heard, I, I don't believe there was a, a real issue here. But like you said, you never know. I was just going to say, I'm going to Barry Rose Fan Fest in April, and oh, Maxine's going to be there. This is going to be so. Good. I'll try to I'll try to remember to ask her a little bit about the, her tussles with Dark Journey. You know, I'll see if I can get a little uh, behind the scenes stuff info on that. Oh, you know who else is going to be there? Ray Russell is going to be there. <laughs> How about that? So gonna... You're going to Barry Rose Fan Fest? Oh yeah, absolutely. Heck yeah! Yeah, so it's going to be a, a hell of a time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, yeah sure. looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I thought I thought that was really cool that we're covering Maxine here, and then she's actually going to be there. So it's going to be uh, quite an interesting time for sure. Um, also here in Houston, Jim Crockett Promotions comes to town. We talked about it. Magnum T8 scoring a win here over Baron Von Rasky. 
And then from there, it's the Rock and Roll Express, defeating Michael Hayes and Buddy Roberts of the Freebirds on a disqualification. Uh, there's a hot tag made from Ricky Morton out to Robert Gibson, which leads into a four-way melee as Michael Hayes gets caught pitching Morton over the top rope. Yes, indeed, this match does air in the Houston market, so it is out there, guys. Uh, basically, Hayes and Roberts DQ'd for the intentional tossing of Morton over the top rope. Referee happens to catch it, and the Rock and Roll is going to pick up the victory there as we continue on. This is unique. It's Jim Crockett Promotions, the NWA, and the UWF. Where do you see this? The AWA World Heavyweight Championship also on the line here on this card. As Stan Hansen comes to town, still the champion, battling Nick Bockwinkel to a no contest. Now, this is actually historically interesting, Roman, because two weeks later, Bockwinkel would be awarded the AWA title. Uh, Stan, he's going to go on to defend against Nick again a week after this in Houston, and he's going to work Jerry Blackwell on June 28th. But uh, Hansen then going to refuse to drop the belt to Nick on June 29th before leaving on a tour of all Japan just a few days later. So this is the last uh, known footage, I do believe, of uh, Stan Hansen with the AWA World Championship. And Bosch was notorious, you know, in the Houston area of having, you know, uh, the AWA World Champ, the NWA World Champ. I mean, there's a famous picture of Bockwinkle and Race together. With the belts, there's one of Bockwinkle Race and Moolah together, and my guess is that those were all taken in Houston because he did that several times where he would have another company's world champion there on the card. Yeah, I think he started relying more on the AWA world title when Harley Race kind of screwed him over a time or two there. At least that's how the story goes anyway. But, yeah, Nick Bockwinkle comes to town here taking on Stan Hansen, but it goes to a no contest. But kind of cool to see the UWF, the NWA, and the AWA all on the same card here. Only in Paul Bosch world. Everybody loved Paul Bosch. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, I was not a fan of his on the mic. That's one no, thing. I well, did not care for him on commentary, but as a promoter and just universally, I, I, I don't think I've ever heard a wrestler say anything bad about him. They always said he was a man of his word. He was a good payoff guy that if he told you, hey, I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars, he did it. And that is so rare amongst wrestling promoters. Right. Yeah. He, they, Bob Roop has called him the best payoff man in the business, as have like a hundred other wrestlers in their shoot interviews over the years. So I'm going to have to take their words. hundred wrestlers can't be wrong, right? So uh, we'll go with that. And so we got two more matches here on the Houston show. First, going to see UWF heavyweight champion Terry Gordy defeat the television champion Terry Taylor. Now, the finish kind of abrupt, out of nowhere. It's almost like somebody told him to take it home because it was uh, kind of on the mat. And then out of nowhere, Terry Taylor makes a quick comeback, but runs into a Terry Gordy lariat, and Bam Bam will retain the title. What a fun uh, first matchup for Gordy, his first title defense, as far as we know, against Terry Taylor. What credibility, you know, to beat another champion. You know, like, I I always like the champion versus champion. You know, even if the secondary champion didn't win the heavyweight title, it was still fun just to mark in me, like, wow, you know, champion versus champion. And uh, Terry Taylor, a very credible performer, and Gordy to beat him, that, that's awesome. You know, it's a big feather in the cap for Gordy to get one over on the TV champ. And there was a lot of Michael Hayes interference in the title tournament, but here it was Gordy scoring a clean win over Terry Taylor to really solidify himself as a champion. Right. And, you know, Gordy obviously didn't need the interference. He was going to get over, but... It was good, too, that Hayes did interfere, though, because it made the Freebirds as a whole yes. more hated, you know? And, uh, you know, like I said on the on the previous podcast we did, it was like Michael Hayes was almost the MVP of that tournament. 
And all right, Roman, we're going to close out the card here. One more matchup. We hate Russia. It is the trio of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Steve Dr. Death Williams, and the Cowboy, Bill Watts, defeating the Russian trio of Ivan and Nikita Koloff and Korchenko in that Texas Tornado street fight. Come as you are. Anything goes. All six men in the ring and out of the ring at the same time. I'd have loved to have seen footage of this. Unfortunately, I haven't, I haven't been able to find any yet. Uh, but you have to imagine, like you said, it's likely Korchenko doing the job. Yeah, and Dusty was such big box office. He was going to be a draw in itself, but then you put him in a match like that, you had to figure there was some crimson flowing. Yeah, I would say in more than one case here, looking at some of the names involved. But yeah, just I'm looking at that. Dusty Rhodes was going to draw Bill Watts coming out of retirement here. So some big names, and obviously Ivan Koloff had been around forever. So the fans, I'm sure, are very familiar with him. And Crockett was you know, on cable. So I'm sure Nikita was was pretty big with the local crowd as well. So yeah, top to bottom, quite quite a six man tag or six man match, and then you got Korchenko, I guess, as well. Uh, but uh, that's going to wrap it up here this week, guys. Uh, closing out the show, another two weeks in the books. Where and uh, when we return, we finished up the the June 13th card in Houston, which means when we start the next episode, Roman, we're going to kick things off the June 14th Superdome card. June 14th, the Superdome was always something that they would try to put like a little something extra into it. So that, that should be excitement. But just when you were talking about that six man, I just couldn't help but have flashbacks. I'm sure you've seen it to that old match of dusty versus Ivan in the, the coffin match. Yes. Right. In Houston. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and they actually, for those fans that don't know it, they actually had the coffin or casket in the ring. ring. Yes. Uh So they would jump over the casket, run into the ropes and do their moves. And I'm like, wow, it's not like how, you know, the the ones we're accustomed to seeing where it's outside and you try to put them in. It was in the ring (laughs) that had Dusty and Ivan. So I I just had flashbacks of that when we were talking about that six man. It was the prototype, if you will, maybe. That's all it was. (laughs) We had to figure out how to to do it. And uh, yeah, I do remember that. But it's it's kind of funny because we got Dusty and Ivan in, in this match as well. I would have loved if they did like a throwback here and they brought like the casket out for a spot or something. That would have been great. Uh, I would have been the only one pop. Well, maybe you too, Roman, but that would have been probably about it. But it would have, it would have been fun times. But when we return, guys, it's uh, the Superdome and moving forward lots. I mean, if you thought this week was big, we got two more weeks of great TV ahead here in the month of June, guys. I promise you that. But the Superdome, several of those matches going to air on Power Pro upcoming. So we'll actually talk about some of those matches in detail as well. I know there's a rematch we're going to see with Terry Taylor taking on Buzz Sawyer for the TV title and some other good matches. Another cat fight between Dark Journey and Maxine, which actually, spoiler guys, winds up being Maxine's final night in the territory. Mm, that'll she, be interesting to see. Yeah, and she's actually told some stories about what led up to that. So we're going to talk in detail also about Maxine leaving the company, uh, what transpired prior to it in the city of Houston, the show we just discussed, uh, what happened there in the locker room, that kind of led up to her making that decision and her finishing up the Superdome on June the 14th and Maxine gone. And where will dark journey go after that? You guys will have to wait and see, but we got a lot, a lot going on in the UWF. I don't need to tell you that Roman, but I just, it's just a pleasure to have you. I'm so glad you, you had the time. You got a day off and we, we got you in here because I couldn't wait to get to these episodes. Oh, heck yeah. It was a blast, man. I, w- I wanted to do this too. And just, I just can't, I know I keep, you know, beating, beating that drum, but just the crowd, like how into it they were at this time. And it just made it so much fun to, to relive it again, you know, to, to go back to a happier time. 86 was a great year, you know, besides the UWF, the Red Sox lost the world series. So 86 was definitely a great year. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, man. Roman getting some heel heat up in Boston. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, no, I'm just, I, the fans make you have to watch. You can't not pay attention. It's not like I do so much, so much reviewing for so many different shows and so many different eras and so many different territories and promotions and things that sometimes I find myself, maybe I'm kind of, maybe I missed a spot. I need, maybe I need to go back and see what it was. Maybe I, you know, it's nothing big. No, no big deal. We'll move on. But it's hard to do here because they make everything sound so important. You can't really take your eyes off of it. I love it. It's great. It's uh, like watching it for the first time. Even though I know a lot of this is going to happen before it happens, it doesn't matter because I'm just enjoying the fans seeing it for the first time. So it it feels like the first time for me as well again. It's one of those things that, for me, it's why you like wrestling. You know, when you're like, okay. Because, you know, there's certain things that, you know, movies or TV shows you watch in the 80s, you watch now, like, oh, okay, that's a different time, whatever. But right. that stands the test of time, these episodes. Like, I still get excited when I hear some of these promos or some of the matches, you know, and I'm like, okay, that really was that damn good. No, that's a, that's a good point. There's a lot of old TV shows that I loved growing up that I try to go back and watch now, and I just can't. Some I still can. They hold up, as, as you would say. They, they, they hold up. But but a lot of them don't, and, and uh, this holds up, but to say the least. I mean, it's exciting, and I can't wait for the things to come. Lots of things coming. So stay tuned, guys. When we come back next time, we're going to talk about the Superdome and close out the month of June, two more weeks of TV. We're going to get into that, and so many new stars headed in. And we're going to pivot away from the Russians. Bill Watt's going to have a new feud, a Bruin. It's on the horizon. We'll talk about that next episode as well. Can't wait. All right, so that's going to wrap it up here this week, guys. Roman, thank you so much for being here. Can't wait to have you back on the show. My pleasure. Looking forward to doing it, and uh, hopefully it's soon. All right, and that will wrap it up here this week on Regional Wrestling. Going to be back soon. More Georgia 81, more UWF 86, and more Memphis 85 right around the corner. And, of course, as always, I am your host, Ray Russell. You can follow me on X at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And we'll be back soon with more regional wrestling, where we talk the territories. Territories.